This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could be sponsored by you, the listener, by heading on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. There you can become a patron and support the show as I continue to grow, keep the website up to date, um, keep you informed with everything that I'm doing right now, and uh, eventually get a facelift for the website. Um, every little bit helps, helps keep the lights on, all that good stuff. So again, just head on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer and uh, become a patron today. Um, also check out chasethomaspodcast.com. It's uh, my site where you can learn a little about me, uh, get a, a direct link to every single episode, um, all that good stuff. You can also read all of my work. I'm basically writing there every day. Um, the schedule that I have right now for uh, my writing on the site is on Sundays. I'm doing an ATL sports column. Um, kind of traditional in that sense, depending on what's going on in Atlanta sports that week. On Mondays, I am doing a 30 things on the NBA um, that I'm excited about because the NBA is coming back soon. Uh, Tuesdays, I'm doing a Monday Night Raw recap and review. Uh, Wednesday, I am doing a SmackDown Live uh, review. On Thursdays, I am doing a Throwback Thursday. So I'll watch a game because I like watching old highlights. I like watching like 1998 Minnesota Vikings versus like the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving, things like that, where Randy Moss went off. Um, so I'm going back, watching old games, uh, and I will be writing about them as if they are happened right now and all that good stuff. On Fridays, I'm doing a Nobody Ass Mailbag, where I uh, just I have a lot of questions and a lot of thoughts on sports, and I can turn them into questions, and uh, I'm going to write about them in a Nobody Asked Mailbag. So you can find that on Fridays. On Saturdays, it's, um, it's just a Saturday morning thought, so things I, w- I thought about during the week that I just want to write about and uh, mixed in with all of that, uh, just other kinds of articles like when I wrote about Bruno Caboclo and why it's interesting that the Houston Rockets are taking a chance on it more. Jimmy Butler and his rumored flirtation with uh, the Lakers and why um, he might be a better fit for uh, Kawhi Leonard instead of LeBron James and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, other articles um, spread out throughout the week all that good stuff, but you can find all of that by going to chasethomaspodcast.com. Uh, don't forget, there's a lot of ways you can listen. Spotify is a popular one now, so you can find the Chase Thomas Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Google Play, uh, everything else that you could possibly think of, uh, CastBox, um, just uh, all kinds of great stuff. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, of course. Uh, but yeah, just search Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it. And if you are an Apple Podcast listener, uh, it'd be great if you could leave the show a reading and a review. Um, it's just, it's important uh, with the way iTunes works. So it'll help other people find the show, help the show continue to grow. Um, so that'd be great. So if you uh, if you are an uh, Apple Podcast listener, it would be great if you could leave a rating and a review uh, for the show. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. 
and uh, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Recording this on a Thursday night. And Yovan Bua is back on the podcast of The Athletic Los Angeles, where he's been all over the place, and he's just he's still reeling from the Tyrone Wallace news. It's uh it's shaking the core of the Athletic LA and just Clipper fans and Pelican fans all over. It's uh it's it's rough times right now. I apologize for the the passing train. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been an eventful summer for the Clippers. Lots of uh, high profile moves, uh, you know, and uh, it's been a really you know they, they've been the really exciting LA team to cover this summer. Can you explain to me why like the Pelicans really wanted Tyron Wallace and how like I was listening to Nate Duncan talk about him a little bit. And it seems like there is something to be said. He started like sixteen games or something for the Clippers last year. What did you see with him? that uh, made you think that this is someone that um, the Pelicans could really use and it's good to have back in Los Angeles. I, I'm not going to pretend to have a scouting report on Tyrone Wallace, but I am curious as to why um, it's gotten this much buzz considering he doesn't seem like he's a good shooter. Um, he's got good size, but I, I don't know. What is it about Tyrone Wallace? Well, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to simplify it too, you know, too much, but I think for the Pelicans, like you just look at, their depth and the fact that Alfred Payton might be, you know, the, their best and really only point guard option. Um, and, and I think, I, I think he made sense, you know, for the Pelicans, like just taking a flyer on him. Um, he, he did show he could do some things with the Clippers. You know, he, he is a bit of a, of a bigger guard. Um, you know, he, he's good at, at flashing and getting into the lane. Um, and, and, you know, what was funny is he, he actually had the worst net rating on the team last season, but I think that was mm. in large part due to just the circumstances he found himself in where, um, you know, a lot of the times he was starting was when there was literally like no other option to start. And, and the team was so shorthanded that uh, a lot of their, you know, actual bench lineups ha- had better net ratings than their uh, starting units. So uh, I think he, he kind of was like a circumstance of that, but, I mean, look, he, to me, he looks like a, um, he, he looks like a potential like back of rotation NBA player. Like I think he is an NBA player. And I think, I guess if you're looking at it from the Clippers perspective of why they match, like he's better than Juwan Evans and mm-hmm. you could maybe even make the case. He's like as good as Sundarius Thornwell and like kind of, on that like Wes Johnson level. Uh, so mm-hmm. if, if you're just talking about a pure talent play, I think it makes, you know, if the, if the Clippers are simply trying to maximize the, you know, the, the, the talent on the roster, I think he's, you know, he's better than, than the guys they have at the, at the back end of the, the roster. But I, I think just looking at it, like, I, I don't see how he's going to play. Uh, you know, I think they they already have an overcrowded backcourt. That they, they arguably right. have the the deepest backcourt in the league right now. Um, mm-hmm. you know, not in terms of overall talent, but just in terms of, you know, they they have multiple rotation guys who who should expect to be playing like twenty five to twenty eight minutes a night. I don't know how they're going to find time for all those guys. So, I I mean, at the same time though, a lot of those guys are injury prone and, and have you know multiple years of, of injuries. So you kind of maybe say 
we expect Avery Bradley or Pat Beverly or, or even Milos, you know, who's now in his early 30s, like to, to go down at some point. Well, we'd rather have Ty Wallace than Juwan Evans. Like, okay, I guess that makes some sense. But um, also, you know, the, the Clippers could still waive him. Uh, I think his contract only guarantees for three hundred thousand uh, dollars as of next Wednesday. So okay. there's there's a you know there, there's a chance that um, you know when the season starts that they end up waiving him and just kind of take that three hundred thousand dollar hit uh, mm-hmm. and kind of evaluate him over the next few weeks. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they already had to cut someone, which it looked like they were going to cut Juwan Evans because they already have 16 players on their contract. Uh, now that they have 17, they're going to have to, you know, find a way to cut two people, whether that's Wes Johnson or Sundarius Thornwell, or maybe they trade someone like they dumped Sam Decker. Uh, but yeah, to me, like it, it is a minor move. It, it is the back of the, the rotation and kind of roster move. Um, I, I do think he would have helped the Pelicans more and probably would have ended up being their backup point guard and maybe a guy who's playing like 12 to 15 minutes a night. But um, yeah, like it, it, it you know, but we're at that part of this summer though, where, where, you know, this is like the, the news of the day, the news of the week, uh, really interesting stuff. God, the Pelicans could have gone into the next <laughs> season with Alfred Payton and Ty Wallace as their point guard rotation. I didn't even think about that. That's uh, yeah. it's a little concerning. <laughs> Great roster building by Dell Dimps. Shout out to them. Um, it's interesting, though, you brought up Milos because I was thinking about the same thing when you look at we've talked about this before, which is like the Clippers are just loaded with good players and it's going to be hard to find minutes for all these guys. And Sundarius Thornwell is actually OK for them last year. And you have all these guys that you're going to find minutes for. But they'll ho- like just it, what's going to happen is because it is a sport that someone's going to get hurt and you're going to have guys get in and out of the lineup and all that kind of stuff. But like I didn't even realize that they're now too over. Um the 15 man roster. So I wonder if this like expedites uh, a trade for them, another one, because there are still teams that need a point guard. And I wonder, I mean, if it's not the Pelicans, like I think Nate Duncan on uh, one of the most recent dunked on podcasts suggested like a Milos Teodosic to Orlando deal. Like they're a team that's still, it's kind of amazing that they're planning to go into the season with their point guard situation and obviously you have the rumors with Phoenix going after Kemba and Damian Lillard and guys like that. So they obviously still want a point guard um, to pair with all their young guys. So I wonder if the Clippers are, um, they're going to make a move at some point. Do you get the sense that one of those guys are not going to be on the team starting next season and it might be a trade to one of those destinations? Or is that just uh, still something that's very much up in the air? Yeah, I mean, I think the ideal scenario would be doing a similar trade to the Sam Decker trade where, and that would probably be Wes Johnson, uh, where, you know, just finding a taker for him and, um, you know, kind of dumping him somewhere for some, you know, team desperate to make the playoffs that needs another wing. Uh, you know, so Wes Johnson could be, yeah. So I guess it could, could be the Pelicans. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you're not, you're, you know, it could be your 10th man, whatever. Um, I think that's the ideal for them. I think that the second option would probably be the, the one you just suggested where, uh, they do dump, you know, uh, Teodosic or maybe even Bradley or, or Beverly because they could probably get back like, uh, you know. I would a, keep Beverly and Bradley. I, w- I would keep I mean, I think ideally, around. Yeah, maybe Teodosic. I, I think He's the first one I think of. It also depends on, on how confident they are in Shea. Um, yeah. Because it's kind of like, you kind of know that the tentative roles right now are, you know, Bradley and Beverly are the starting backcourt. Uh, mm. Lou Williams is going to get his like, you know, 28 minutes a night as like that, you know, super sub. And then you kind of have a weird point guard situation where you're going to have Tia Dosich who 
um, you know, fully expects to play. But then you also have Shea, who's, right. you know, this lottery pick point guard that uh, you needs know, to play really well in summer league. And then he's kind of your point guard of the future. So I, I do think there, there is a backcourt and, you know, that's why I'm even getting into Ty Wallace. And then you mm-hmm. know, even Sindarius is kind of a two, three mix. Jerome Robinson, who also, you know, is another lottery pick. So yeah. I think that they're completely overcrowded in the backcourt and, and someone has to go. Um, mm-hmm. That's so, why I just moved the bet. Like, and, and I feel like it'd be doing him a solid by sending him to either Phoenix or Orlando or New Orleans or anybody like that. Because yeah, Phoenix would be cool, especially. Minutes. Yeah, Phoenix would be cool, especially because of Igor, uh, you know, now being there. Right. And the um, relationship there. And, and I think he, he would be, I mean, like, defensively, the fit with him and Booker would, would not be good. But, uh, no. but they're running, they're starting Ryan Anderson and uh, DeAndre. Well, well yeah, we're, we're going to have to get They're, they're punting on defense. <laughs> Well, so, I mean, I know we're going to get into it later. Maybe we're going to get yeah. into it now. But, like, that, that I'm, I'm really worried about the Suns and what seems like, like, it seems like they think they can make the playoffs, which really scares me. Um, Do you think so? I can't, like, uh, I mean, I guess, like, uh, Ryan Anderson can help them in theory. And He's Brandon better than Knight. Marquise Chris. Yeah, that was that was a toxic situation, uh, and and you know Marquise Chris, like you just said, hasn't really proven anything, or or what he has proven is not good. Uh, so I guess like from that perspective, it it makes some sense, and they're able to, uh, you know, negotiate the the you know partial or you know the guarantee on, on Ryan Anderson's contract down by five million. Mm-hmm. So that you know from that perspective, I think like I guess it makes some sense for the Suns, but. I, you know, to me, like the Rockets really won that trade by saving money, um, getting, you know, getting two really, I think, high upside guys for high upside in the sense of like their potential role with the Rockets, uh, Mm -hmm. where like if Brandon Knight, you know, if he sucks, then that's fine. The Rockets like already, you know, they play a short rotation because of D'Antoni, but um, well, they're also setting back up point guard with Michael Carter Williams in 2018. Yeah. So they already, I mean, they have. And Eric Gordon is, you know, the primary right. ball handler a lot in the second unit. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, and, and they obviously, like, will stagger minutes between Chris and James. So, like, they're fine yep. on that. Um, so anything Brandon Knight gives them extra is gravy. And then Marquise Chris is just, like, a, a, a young, interesting, like, player that, again, like, hasn't really shown a lot. And, um, you know, a lot of people have already given up on him. I still have a little bit of, of stock in him, you know, remaining. And I, I think that, you know, he could, he, he, to me kind of fits that profile of like a, a guy who there's kind of these like character work ethic, uh, questions about, and kind of like how, you know, how much does he really care? How hard does he really work? And then, you know, being in Phoenix, that's, you know, probably one of the worst situations to be in the last few years outside of like Sacramento or the, or New York or something. So I think for him to kind of get out of that, uh, and, you know, go to a, a winning team, a team that's, you know, probably second or third best team in the league, be around James Harden, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, uh, Mike D'Antoni, like Daryl Moore, like just like a really strong foundation uh, and kind of learn. And even like guys like PJ Tucker, Eric Gordon, like yeah. I, I think it's it, like if, if Marquise is, if Marquise Chris is ever going to make it, it's, it's going to be like, you know, he's going to make it in Houston now. And if he, if he can't make it in Houston, then he's, you know, he's not an NBA player and he's going to be out of the league in a couple of years. So uh, I think for, for him, this is a really good opportunity to 
you know, really potentially become like their backup five, take like Nene's role. Um, and uh, I think like that, you know, he has, he has a lot of potential to be like a 15 minute a night guy and kind of playing that Capella, you know, Capella light role. Um, will he do it? I don't know. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not that confident in it, but I, I do think like he needed a change of scenery. And if you could get anything from, you know, if either one of those two guys becomes a rotation player, that's more than Ryan Anderson was giving them. And uh, I just think like it, it makes the Rockets that much better. So Marquise Chris is like one of those great theoretical players. And I remember going into the draft a couple of years ago. Um, we forget these kind of things because there's just so much information and we forget uh, just a year later how the, we looked at these guys before they got on an NBA roster and before they played minutes and all that kind of stuff. But he was regarded as like a potential best player in the draft that year. Like he was someone that people were like, you know what? He might end up being the best player in the draft. And um, he was a raw project and he never found the right fit in Phoenix. And obviously the coaching changes going from Earl Watson and uh, Jay Triano and all that kind of stuff. And just a bad team, bad situation and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, <laughs> really great bad. coaching mentor. <laughs> yeah. Like it wasn't great. And he's like one of those guys, like if you're a project guy, like you need to go to a really great culture and all that kind of stuff. And they're going to take the time. And he just went to a bad situation for him. So, I'm with you in that I don't know, but I did watch enough of him last year. I was like, oh, God, he's awful. Like, he was an awful basketball player in Phoenix. So I don't I, – it's tough because I want to see him as like a Mario Hazonia type where we just – he was drafted to the wrong team. He was a lottery guy, so we look at him differently than maybe we should. But now that they're – like, Hazonia's in New York and he's going to play with a bunch of other um, former lottery picks like Emmanuel Moutier and all these guys getting their second chances on different teams, I wonder, like you said, like just being around – Nene and Capella and Toronto legend Bruno Caboclo and all these different guys that maybe like you said he could be the stretch five that um can back up and kind of ease Nene's burden and all that kind of stuff because he does seem like someone who should be able to catch lobs and he's just a great dunker I mean I remember that at Washington watching his highlights it's like he's yeah, a really he athletic dude podcast. yeah so like he can I don't see why he couldn't just be um a guy that uh could back up capella it's like i don't think he's gonna be a star but like could he be a ninth or tenth guy on a really good team sure and that's all houston was gonna get and also i like to go ahead and retire the the idea that uh a player is untradeable can we move on from this now can we stop saying stuff like this because i just remember months and months ryan anderson untradeable who's taking that contract and then lo and behold Daryl Morey found someone who will take that contract because every contract is tradable. Blake Griffin, someone found it like right after he signed it. Ooh, I don't know how they're going to be able to move that one. That's a lot of years for someone with that kind of injury history. Guess what? Someone traded for Blake Griffin. Like I, I just, we want, I need this to stop because we all know that everybody can be traded and you never know who's going to jump at something in the circumstances involved. And uh, Ryan Anderson got moved. And I think this makes Phoenix better. And I, I'm still kind of baffled by like the DeAndre uh, Motley love, like the USC kid who went in the deal. And like Houston might regret that. And I'm just like, he was a late second round guy. And I'm just, he wasn't going to play for them anyway this year. And Chris, oh, talking about play, De- De-Anthony. my guy, DeAnthony De-Anthony Melton. Melton. Melton yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah. He went to USC. I, I, so he's, he's my guy. Okay. Um, he, he sure, looked, I'll say like fun. he looked he looked good in summer league. You know, for, for is all of it just were, summer league? Is that all it is? The hype surrounding it's, it's him? All, I don't all, understand. Well, well, so he he was a he was one of those guys that he was like a projected late first round pick, and then he slipped, and he went like middle 
you know, I think he was, he was like mid forties. So you're just yeah. kind of one of those guys or people were just like, Oh, it's a great value pick. The Rockets got him, blah, blah, blah. Then he played well in summer league. So like, there's a little bit, you know, pe- people are kind of treating him like a first round pick more so than a second rounder. Okay. Um, I think he, you know, when I feel like he kind of has some Jordan Clarkson potential and not, <laughs> I know that sounds okay. like ridiculous, but like, uh, I, I would say like he, he's kind of in that mold of like, he, he can be an offensive spark plug like right away. Uh, so, so from that perspective, like, yeah, I mean, but, but no, I agree with you. Like, I think it's ridiculous to kind of make, like, I, I think the Rockets won the trade. I, I think it's, you know, a they lot of high Ryan Anderson's contract. Like it's a win well, for them. I will say like Bra- I mean, Brandon Knight was not the most tradable contract either. Um, I mean, this is the last year of his deal, right? Is I think. Yeah. And especially, yeah. we don't, we don't know how, you know, there, there's been a lot of smoke around him being not the most like positive guy to have in a locker room so so mm. that's a bit of you know that, that's another you're adding that variable into houston when you're already adding you know carmelo anthony um you, you still have like the chris paul james harding dynamic which has worked so far but i all kind of feel like that's that's uh, its own like ticking time bomb that could kind of just go off whenever uh you know both of those guys seem to be pretty moody so I do think there there are some potential personality issues in, in Houston already, and then kind of adding night is interesting. But but kind of to go back to Chris, like uh, I think you you we now have enough of like a, a, a you know somewhat of a sample size to to kind of look back and be like you know guys like Tyson Chandler, DeAndre Jordan, um, even Clint Capella to some extent, like those guys didn't really hit their strides until they got the right coaching and and were in the right mm-hmm. like you know Tyson Chandler was not the same guy in Chicago that he ended up being in new Orleans and then Dallas, um, you know, Deandre needed doc to come in, you know, instead of Vinny Del Negro, like Capella needed D'Antoni to really, you know, trust him and, and unleash him, uh, mm-hmm. the, the way that Kevin McHale never really did. So I, I just think that we've seen it with, with these types of guys. Now, again, like Marquise Chris could end up being Nerland's Zoel and, and, you know, that is just you know it doesn't matter where he goes or what happens like you know Nerlens we we all thought would, would be great and really in Philly and then in, great in Dallas I will never leave of... my Nerlens Noel hype I'm still there and I think he's gonna be good in, in OKC I'm not gonna quit yet I refuse uh, for me it's just I, I've been I was so high on him like I, I thought he should have been the yeah. number one pick in, in 2013 uh, I, yeah. you know, I, I was really excited at the potential of him and Anthony Davis like I still mm. feel like I, I always kind of wonder what that would have been like. Um, right. And then even in Philly, I was like, you know, he, he'd be, you know, he had, felt like he had the potential to be the best backup center in the league, you know, backing up Embiid and kind of Embiid, the ultimate like Embiid insurance, where if Embiid goes down, he could come in and start and, and you know, play 30 minutes a night and, and be fine. But it just hasn't worked out for him. And like Dallas, like, you know, Dallas needed a center and, and they, they went with, you know, Sal Measury and then Dwight Powell over him. And it was just like, all right, like, you know, the, the, there's enough people that have not given him a chance or, or, you know, quickly revoked their, their, you know, trust in him to, to kind of get me to, to be off the band. Like I, I'm with you where like, I still have like, maybe, you know, I have one or two shares left of, of Nerland stock, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to sell them after the season with, depending on how it goes. So, uh, but, but yeah, Marquise Chris could end up being like that, or he could end up being, you know, uh, DeAndre Jordan-esque late bloomer. And, you know, it's probably going to be somewhere in the middle, but I do think it, it is worth, 
you know, taking that, that risk. And I think Houston is, you know, you gotta, it's another win for Dale Moore. Like you, you just, he just takes these really smart risks and uh, kind of takes chances on guys that other teams kind of view as, as uh, washed up or just not worth it or whatever. And, and, you know, it, I think he has a pretty good track record of it working out so far. Jovan, I was told that the Rockets could not do anything else after uh, losing Luke Richard and Bamute and uh, Trevor Reza this summer. I was told that they were they were in trouble. They just, I mean, they got Carmelo, but they got James Ennis and Michael Carter Williams, but ultimately they were kind of screwed at filling out the rest of that uh, that bench. But um, it looks like Daryl Morey found a way. He moved Ryan Anderson, and uh, they. He just threw a lot of darts at the dartboard, which is all Daryl Morey does, and he's not going to hit on all these guys. Ennis, Mello, um, Michael Carter-Williams, uh, Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris, Bruno Caboclo. All these guys are not going to hit for them. Um, they brought back Jail Green, which is interesting. But um, I don't know. I think enough will. I think Ennis will be good for them. I, I think Mello will probably be fine. Um, Chris is a wild card, but these guys are just going to be playing eight to 10 minutes a game max. So I don't really think it matters. I think what ultimately matters with the Rockets is the health of Capella, Chris Paul and James Harden. They're all healthy and they're able to stagger the minutes and everything else. And lineups don't die when they're not on the court. Um, they're going to be in good shape and they'll contend again. But, uh, I just, ultimately I care most about Bruno Caboclo and just seeing that picture of them on the beach today. Did you, did you see the picture? Yeah. yeah, Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know who looked the um, best on the beach? It was Bruno Caboclo on the end. He is jacked. He is a gigantic man, and he looks like he is in great shape. So, um, well, I mean, I read about friend, him a couple weeks ago, it, it, and he is—he looks great. I'm not quitting Brazilian Kevin Durant. That's my guy. I will never leave him. <laughs> uh, I hope it works out. We'll see if, if the, I mean, this is the season that Fran's two years away from being two years away would, would come true. So, right. Uh, yeah. Not much has been shown yet. So my, my one thing with the Rockets, though, that I, I think on paper, um, they're still like they're they're definitely they definitely got better from this trade. So I, I would say on paper, like they're I think they're close to last season, like maybe a little bit worse. But uh, I was actually listening to uh, Nate, you know, dunked on today, and then you know Nate and Danny were talking about it uh, about the Clippers. And, you know, the, the way they're, the conversation they're having about the Clippers, like really kind of just kind of like illuminated the way I feel about the, like kind of the Rockets where they're basically saying like with, with the Clippers, it's a really interesting situation because they have so many good rotation players and like they might even be the deepest team in the league, but so many of those guys at the same time are, you know, one-sided players. So you have your, like Pat Beverly, Luke Mabamute. I mean, maybe uh, Avery Bradley's kind of an exception where he's sort of like a two-way guy, but like your Beverly and your Mabamute and even Bradley to some extent are more like defensive-minded guys who aren't going to give you much offensively. Like they could shoot a little bit, but they're not necessarily pluses offensively. And then you have your, you know, Tobias Harris, Danilo Gallinari, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, who are guys who are, who are more pluses offensively and are, you know, average to to you know way below average defensively uh so it kind of is this weird thing with the clippers where they really have to be careful with their lineups of how they're balancing offense and defense and it's almost like it you know if, if one side of of the floor is, is doing well they're probably you know compromising the other end so 
you know, if they have good offensive lineups, it's probably going to come at the expense of their defense or, or vice versa. And that's how I kind of feel about the Rockets where, you know, look, Carmelo Anthony might be a better player than, than Trevor Ariza or Luke Mbamute in a vacuum. Like probably not. I, I would say at, at best they're, you know, they're, they're similar or equal, but uh, I would probably take either one over him. But even if you want to make that argument, like, I do think that the, the value that, that Ariza especially provided, but also Luke to some extent because he's become a much better shooter, is that you know the, the Rockets were really able to play two-way basketball. And that's the, I think that's kind of the only way to beat the Warriors is you, you can't have weaknesses. And I think that small ball lineup that the, that the Rockets had last season uh, and, and that I think the Celtics will be able to have this season those like the closest you get to basically like perfect basketball that can match up with the Warriors because you really need multiple six seven to six nine guys who can you know not be offensive liabilities and, and you know can't be helped off of and then defensively can switch everything you know you got to be able to you got to be able to you know guard Clay Thompson on one possession and then switch on to Kevin Durant on the other and then switch on to Draymond Green on the next and like not you know lose him and kind of sag off him too much because then he's going to screen for Steph or Clay or whatever. So I felt like the Rockets could do that last season. I, I think Carmelo Anthony is too big of a defensive liability for them to properly do that, you know, this upcoming season. So I, uh, you know, I don't know if that the, the, they're going to have to bench him at the end of games or what they're going to do, but if they're going up against the Warriors, I think the Warriors will exploit Carmelo Anthony's defensive liability. Uh, so to me, that's kind of where, you know, not to go off on too big of a tangent on, on this, but uh, when I just look at kind of their roster composition from last season to this season, uh, I think the biggest thing is last season they could roll out an end-of-game lineup that was, you know, pretty pretty good on both ends of the floor. This season, uh, I think they're going to have to play one or two guys probably that is a liability uh, on, on either end, and, and that's kind of going to be the, the thing that ultimately hurts them against the, the Warriors. I think it's just one guy for them. The guy who I just am going to be watching intently this year is James Ennis. It's just whatever he yeah, does like for this that, team. Like and if he, it, he's the guy. Like, I think if he can't do what Trevor Reza did for them last year, then they're in trouble. If he can do 90%, then I think they'll be fine because they brought back Joel Green. They have Melo there. They have a bunch of guys. Bruno Caboclo is going to break out and become the top 10 player that I have always believed that he would be. Um, they have options. So, um, in all seriousness, I just think that James Ennis is the guy that actually matters because I think he's the guy who's going to close with them. I think their closing five will be Paul, Gordon, Harden, Ennis, and Capella. And I, I think that's still a really good closing five. But, uh, I mean, going back to the Warriors, I don't think any of it's going to beat the Warriors. But uh, if Steve Kerr plays Damian Jones in the closing minutes because apparently he's in the running to start at the five, maybe that makes things interesting. But uh, outside of that, no. I, uh, I, I'm just the Warriors argument. I'm just tired of because I don't think it really matters because I don't think they're going to beat the Warriors. And I don't think there was anything Daryl Morey could do outside of trading for Jimmy Butler or signing Paul George this summer that uh, would have pushed them over the top. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's the best that he could do. And he got off the Ryan Anderson contract. So good for him. Yovan, did you know that uh, Mo Cheeks was the Russell Westbrook whisperer? I did not. Um, I knew, you know, it, it always seemed like they they kind of like. I feel like he uh, Russ gave him a special thank you during his MVP speech. Mm-hmm. 
and you know just kind of you know you, you see them interacting during games and stuff and it, it seems like they, they have a good relationship and, and mo you know mo was, was not a westbrook type personality but you know from everything i i've you know read and seen like it, it he was one of those like fiery alpha guys that you know he was a very tough-minded like you know it was just that type of scrappy tough guy so it doesn't surprise me that he's willing to stand up to Westbrook and and kind of um you know confront him and and when he's you know when he is throwing his tantrums or, or kind of in one of those um you know outbursts he you know Mo's you know Mo, Mo would probably fight him like if Russ you know tried <laughs> him you know like that's just kind of how Mo Cheeks is so uh yeah. the fact that they get along so well um, you know, it doesn't really surprise me, but I, I hadn't really read something like this. So, uh, yeah. you know, it, it was a cool story. Yeah. The piece we're referring to is by Royce Young on ESPN.com that everybody should read. Cause it's really good and really illuminating into just this relationship that I did not know existed, but it's, uh, it shows that there are so many different layers in every team that we just don't know. And this is something that, uh, if you're a Thunder beat writer, you knew like this is something that you see every day that they're, they're at practice. And there was this anecdote in there where like wh- I think he Mo Cheeks uh, raced the strength coach, I want to say. And uh, Russell, um, he bet on Cheeks and uh, Cheeks won after getting a, a head start. And uh, Russell apparently like yelled out, where's my fucking money? And uh, it's just one of those things where he it's his guy and you need that for every superstar. It seems like where it's like, I think Kawhi Leonard didn't his, uh, was it his family friend or coach or somebody just got hired by the Raptors? I, I want to say who was with the Spurs. Yeah. It's like one of his idiot? good friends, one of his good friends who was a video yeah. coordinator for the Spurs. Right. Uh, so I think basically if you have a superstar, you gotta, you gotta find these guys. You gotta find the ones that can talk to your, your top 10 players. And I just thought it was interesting that Mo Cheeks is Russell Westbrook's guy. Cause he was in and out of the organization and he was there. I think his first year was Russell Westbrook's second year on the team. And this is almost 10 years ago and this is his second stint, but it is just fascinating that they're so different personality and just like the way they played. Like Mo Cheeks was a all around guy, kind of like a Jerry West, poor man's Jerry West. And I understand that Jerry West is a top 10 player all the time. I'm not saying it like that in that, <laughs> The, the reason I'm comparing him to Jerry West is because Jerry West literally checked like every box score. Like if you looked up and down the stat sheet, he just was a rebounder, assist guy, points guy, everything. Like Jerry West was like on a mission to be good at everything. The ultimate team guy. And it seems like Mo Cheeks is another one of those guys who just got the team concept and was all about the team and just um, sacrifices numbers and, and all that kind of stuff. Cause he's like, what, like a 13 and six guy career wise. But um I just think it's interesting that they're the dichotomy between the two of them. Um, it works. And uh, I don't know. I thought it was a little cool story. Uh, it, it was just, you can tell that Westbrook really does care about him and Cheeks really does care about uh, Westbrook. And, you know, I realized that uh, Mo Cheeks was the coach of the Pistons four years ago because I don't remember that at all. Do you remember that? I, so that was it's funny you said that because I completely forgot about it. Uh, okay. I'm glad I'm not alone I there. I, I completely uh, forgot that that was the thing. Yeah, I was like, uh, <laughs> it was funny to me because I was just like, I thought we kind of knew Mo Cheeks like wasn't a head coach, but mm-hmm. I was like, I guess the Pist- I mean, I mean that just shows you what's been up with the Pistons like the last like decade basically. Uh, where, where like they- a full season. It was like 2013 to 2014, but I I just have no recollection of that at all. 
Oh man, because I mean, was, the, I think, was it like Brandon Knight? Was he the point guard at the time? Is this that era? I don't even. I remember none of this. All right, I think uh, Chucky Atkins might have been the point guard. I I don't know. Um, it's it's baffling that that just that really perplexed me. I had to like double check that. I'm like, there's no way that's true. Was he really the coach then? So I'm glad we're on the same page there. <laughs> all right, so uh, the 2013-14 Detroit Pistons. Uh, went twenty nine and fifty three. Ooh, uh, Chauncey. So that was Chauncey's last season. Um, when he he went back there. Uh, okay. So the starting Rodney Stuckey. Yeah, Rodney Stuckey. Okay. Uh, so probably the, wasn't there. The starter. The star. Oh wow. Oh wow! This is why this. Oh my god! This was the Josh Smith year. Um, okay, when he started so, the three. Yeah, their starting lineup was. Uh, wow. Greg Monroe, this, this Andre Drummond, terrible. Josh Smith, Rodney Stuckey, and oh, Chauncey Billups. No, uh, it, it's bad. Brandon Jennings, Casey, mm. KCP, Josh Smith. Uh. Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond. Oh my God! With a bench, what a time! Kyle Singler, Rodney Stuckey, <laughs> Will Bynum, Jonas mm. Jerebko, and Chauncey Billups. Okay, hard to believe uh, that that also, team went like twenty nine and fifty three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know how they won twenty nine games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so that, that, that well. So Mo Cheeks tried playing Josh Smith at the three, which is why he got fired. <laughs> mm. Well, that's uh, it's not great. But at least I'll always have the the love and admiration of Russell Westbrook. He does have that. So, what's also interesting about this is uh, so John Lawyer was the uh, was the interim coach, but mm-hmm. at the time that they fired Mo Cheeks, the team was twenty one and twenty nine. So just mm. the, you know, few games under five hundred. Okay. Uh, once John Lawyer took over, they went eight and twenty-four. So not great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that 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 firing did not work out. But you know who it did work out for? Josh Smith, because he's still getting paid by the Pistons. Well, and then he got his he got his uh, his kind of swan song with the with the Rockets. Um, That's yeah, true. Against the uh, the Clippers, which is. Still a, a painful, sad memory for me, just because I w- would have been fun to cover the conference finals. But yeah. yeah, well, I mean, this year I wouldn't rule it out, man. Montrezl starting at the five, like conference finals, is not out of the question. I don't think. Yeah, well, this year it, it would probably have to be me covering the Lakers if that's going to happen, which is, mm. is a weird thing to say. That is. Weird. I've never I've uh, never covered a Lakers playoff game uh, since, since really? I started doing the, the Lakers. Uh, the first season I started covering games, they were in the playoffs, but I wasn't really covering that much Lakers stuff. Uh, and then since then, they have not made the playoffs. So it's uh, That's wild. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Um, so Josh Smith is making $5.3 million for the Detroit Pistons this year. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Um the last thing I wanted to touch on. Uh, so you and I enjoy the Timberwolves. We enjoy Tom Thibodeau running this team. We enjoy Scott Layden getting a GM job in 2018. We enjoy 
just everything going on there. Um, they keep finding themselves in the news. Uh, Jimmy Butler uh, is apparently like there's significant uh, rumors involving Kyrie Irving and Jimmy Butler next summer. Like those two want to team up apparently. So that's great. If you're a Timberwolves fan that you're going to lose your best player um, for nothing, probably next year. And this is the last year of the Timber pups. Uh, Derek Rose resigned and you already had Tyus Jones, who was a capable backup uh, for uh, Jeff Teague, but apparently Derek Rose needed to return to Minnesota. And to add another guy, number four and potentially number five, uh, if and when the New York Knicks wave and stretch uh, Joakim Noah. So you have Joakim Noah on the rumor mill for Minnesota. You have Luol Deng, who seems more likely because he did get waived by Los Angeles and gave some money back. And, uh, you know, he, you know what's amazing is he's only 33 and he's been bad and basically unplayable for two years now. So Tibbs, like what he did to Luol's career, and I understand there's other things, so just pinning it on Tim, uh, Tibbs totally is not fair. But like just thinking about like how long players play now and how good of a player LeBron is even at his age, like for Luol Deng to be so washed in his early 30s is kind of amazing to me like he was really good in his mid to late 20s and then just completely falling off a cliff you don't see that very often but when you play like 93 minutes a game i guess it happens faster uh for guys but um my favorite thing though was jamal crawford who did not enjoy his time in minnesota last year and signed with them and did not think about the fit when he signed and now he's much more uh cautious about where he's signing because he's still available and apparently like Philadelphia makes the most sense for him and they've been rumored, but Philadelphia still is trying to find a new GM and all that kind of stuff. So who knows when that's going to happen, but uh, I just can't get enough of what's going on in Minnesota because 538 loves them for this season. Like they're a 53 win team, which is definitely not out of the question because if um, Jimmy Butler did not get hurt in uh, February of last year, uh, then they're probably close to 50. And I mean, uh, they're, if they those big three stay healthy and Carl Anthony Towns gets better and Andrew Wiggins is whatever he is at this point, Jeff Teague stays healthy, like they're probably going to win 50 games. Like they're going to be a good team. They have no depth, but like, oh my God, Josh Okoge, their first round pick, he's got to be sweating bullets because Luol Deng right around the corner about to lose uh, those minutes to 33 year old Luol Deng. I mean, what. <laughs> It's kind of like, it, it's funny that, uh, you know, I feel like that got, that started getting floated out last year of like, you know, once it was clear that the, the Noah and Dang situations were, were, you know, respectively, um, you know, untenable in, with either organization, like, it was just kind of like, all right, well, you know, it'd be, how hilarious would it be if, if Tibbs brought them, you know, both, you know, into Minnesota, but now that it's like closer to becoming a reality, I'm just like, this like this situation is going to end i think in in flames like it, it's going to be this is like stan van gundy 2.0 i feel like um yeah it, it's, well, at least it's, they won it's, it's really like stan never even got to win the games like he never gave detroit even one great year yeah uh so i'm just like you know the wall dang was, was the, the you know so two seasons ago he, he played like you know 16 17 uh he was not good and it was just clear that you know his body was broken down um, you know, he was trying to kind of reinvent himself as like a stretch four almost. And he mm, was just, that's not what he was doing same. in Miami. And yeah. He was okay. he was just not, and then he yeah, fell he, off a cliff. He, yeah. He, he just fell out, you know, it was, it was terrible. Uh, he played a few games last season, you know, looked just as bad, if not worse. And, uh, you know, so I, I feel like, um, you know, at this point, like 
like the Lakers were paying him. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, a, it was more of just, they didn't have a big role for him and he didn't want to be there. So that's kind of how that situation ended up playing out. But I just feel like, you know, I don't know what, if he does sign with Minnesota, I just hope that if anything, it's more of a familiarity. Like I know the wall is a good guy. He's going to set a good example. Maybe he can kind of, you know, because of his relationship with Jimmy, maybe he can kind of smooth things out with, with Jimmy and, and, you know, Kat and Jimmy and Wiggins. And, you know, maybe he'll, he could be a good mentor for Wiggins, but uh, you know, if, if he's coming in and, you know, they're, they're promising him 15 to 20 minutes a night, uh, that's a really scary thought because he's just, I, I just don't really see a scenario in which, and then, and, you know, kind of like you're saying, like they, they already have Anthony Tolliver, who I, I think is a really, who I like a lot. Yeah. 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 Like b- b- between, between towns, uh, you know, Jang Gibson, Gibson, Tolliver, yeah. uh, and even like, you know, Jimmy could probably play four in a pinch, some small mm-hmm. ball, like, they have enough minutes, I think, but you know, at the four and five, and I guess Dan probably wouldn't play five, but I just don't really see a, a potential role for him on the team. So, um, if they're just bringing him in on on, on Betsman to kind of be a, a good locker room guy, because from all accounts, he you know he still is that, and he's obviously a very you know he, he's a smart guy, he, he's a, he's a positive guy, he's a good guy. So I don't think you know bringing him in would be bad necessarily. I just think the expectations have to be tempered but but to your point about what 538 says like i'm still very high in timberwolves uh, i think people uh you know kind of are, are sleeping on them like I, I you know for for me the tiers of you know like the the west tiers are, are probably one you know golden state's in its own tier and then houston is probably second in, in its own tier and then for me it's like the third tier is probably the jazz and, and the thunder and then that Fourth year, I would you know I think the Timberwolves the Lakers are in that and, tier with them if they're healthy. Yeah, so the, the the Timberwolves might be in that tier, but I was gonna say like the fourth tier for me is probably like Lakers, Timberwolves, uh, you know, probably like Nuggets and, and yeah. Pel- Pelicans, depending on on what type of Drew no, Holiday. They get. But like, but <laughs> yeah. But my my point being is, I just think people like to me the 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 Timberwolves are closer to being like the four seed than they are like the eight seed. So like mm. I, I think that the Timberwolves are definitely going to be in that like four five six mix, and people forget like 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 you said before Jimmy Butler went down they were the four seed all season and then and then yeah. he went down you know around what I remember it was like game fifty game sixty it was whatever January, but February area um yeah so like in, in somewhere in the fifties and then you know if you just look at their on off like he was by far their most important like their best and most important player like you know Carl yep. some people think Carl Anthony Towns is better he has a higher 2k rating but he is not a better player uh, than know, Jimmy Butler and Jimmy Butler was way more impactful for that team and without him yep. they were you know they were back to being a 31 you know 25 to 31 team so uh i, I think if if he's healthy if like i i think sometimes we overthink you know when we're, we're doing our analysis of teams especially in the regular season like they have two top 15 guys like, or, you know, maybe top 20, depending on how you feel about towns, but like yeah. at the least they have top two, two top 20 guys. Like let's not overthink it. That's usually a recipe a for like veterans, 50 wins. Um, a lot of guys who know how to win like Jeff Teague saw and, like, and they have a coach only who, play good players. Yeah. For as much as, as much as we want to, you know, um, give him, you know, crap for, for his personnel, uh, decisions. Like, 
you know, Tibbs is, you know, he plays a short rotation, which is, is better yeah. for the regular season. Like he, you know, it, it does tire guys out and then come to playoffs. They're, they're going to be sapped of energy, but like for the regular season, he does kind of maximize, you know, his, his well, two team. Things can be true, Yovan. Like on one hand, they could be in great shape for this year, which I think they are. And I also think they're fucked after this year. Like, I think this ends with like a similar situation that happened with Anthony Davis in new Orleans, where it's like, Oh, they really messed up this, eight year stretch with a franchise big. Like I think Wiggins is going to get traded and I think Butler's gone and they'll lose him for nothing. And then Tibbs will be gone and Layden will be gone and they'll be starting over and Towns will be entering his prime and he'll be looking around and be like, Oh, I don't have any help. And this is, I mean, they, this is the route they chose and it's, uh, it's going to be good for this year because I think they're going to win a lot of games. And like you said, short rotation, veteran, uh, heavy roster that's going to play. So they're going to win a lot of games. They're just, this is it. Like, I really do think this is the last year of competitive Timberwolves basketball before it gets really dark and really bad for the next like five to 10 yeah. years. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we know that Jimmy's gone. Like Jimmy, yep. I would be, you know, this is not a Paul George situation. Like Jimmy Butler is, is gone. I, I, I would say I, I'd be very surprised if he stayed. Um, and then after that, like, you know, like we just said, uh, with the way they played last season without him, they're, they're kind of around like a 31 team. So, you know, he leaves. Uh, Minnesota's not a hotbed for attracting talent. Uh, I think, like, you know, maybe they could kind of get a couple nice, like, you know, fourth or fifth starter pieces with, with you know, money. But that team does not have a lot of money anyway. So I, I just, I think that's going to be weird because then, then you're kind of relying more on Wiggins, which he has not proven that he can kind of shoulder that type of load uh, or at least efficiently. And, and then, you know, you, you might, you know, Wiggins, who knows, Wiggins might get traded this, this season. Like that wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, yeah. if they just kind of cut bait, you know, on him. And then at that point, you know, what, what is Carl Anthony Towns playing for? And then what is, what is he looking forward to in Minnesota? Um, you know, it's already, you know, a cold, smaller kind of smaller market you know very cold um i just don't really see the the you know long-term appeal for for town staying um so well, i think uh, he signs his next contract i think he does the yeah Davis extension does, and but, then he's gone after the second one yeah like i i just think that they're really setting themselves up for you know maybe the next few years or you know towns is so good it's fine but i would really be surprised if, if he stays past that second deal yeah same all right Yovan. um do you have anything coming out this week on the athletic uh no not not this week in a couple of weeks i have a tobias harris feature coming out um so a lot of hype right that. yeah Talk saying he's um, gonna have a big year yeah so that that's gonna be a fun piece that, that's coming out and then i might be doing something this weekend that i don't really want to spoil it yet but i think it would be a pretty cool story if i end up doing it so um, nice. I should be sharing okay. more of that on, on social uh, shortly. So, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much about it. Okay. Well, we can read your great work on the Athletic LA. We can read your Clippers Q&A with uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander on fashion because I do believe – let me check my notes. Yes, you do care about fashion. So it was right <laughs> in your alley. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was, um, so check that out team. and uh, – um, your thought experiment with uh, Montrezl over Marcin Gortat at the starting center spot that you and I both um, 
think should be the thing. So go check all that out and keep up with Yovan's great coverage of the Clippers on the Athletic Los Angeles. So Yovan, thank you so much for making the time and uh, we will talk again soon. Basketball is a month and a half away. We're getting closer. Yeah, man, I, I can't. I can wait, but I also can't wait. So it's uh, yeah. it's one of those times. Yeah, no more Ty Wallace talks. No, more. <laughs> we, we got to move yeah. on. And no offense to Mr. Wallace, but uh, it's a, it's a sad day when a lot of NBA podcasts are talking about um, the impact of Tyrone Wallace uh, staying in Los Angeles and not going to the Clipper, uh, the Pelicans. Yeah. Uh, well, now, now we got opposite. now we got to gear up for the the plus minus fifteen pound talk that happens mm. every training. Yeah. That's oh, it's going to be big for Montrezl. Like, he's <laughs> yeah. gearing up for his uh, Deion Jordan elevation and everything else. Da- Danilo Gallinari in the best shape of his life, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually just saw, saw him a couple weeks ago. He, he looked pretty, he, he looked in better shape. I, I don't know. Oh, no, it's already starting. It's the best shape. It's, uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a proponent of it. So uh, we'll, we'll see. There we go. Well, please, next time you see him, tell him I'm rooting for him because I'm always, I'm always in on the, the Italian. Uh, I love Danilo Gallinari. So maybe, yeah, no, just tell him I, I said hey and uh, all that good stuff. But anyway, Yovan, thank you so much. Uh, follow Yovan on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything else. He's at Yovan Bua for all of them because he did just get uh, verified on Instagram, I saw. So yeah, you're, was, uh... you're getting closer and closer to being too big time for this podcast, Yovan. <laughs> No, nah, no. Nah. You've been having some big time guests lately, so I, I gotta, I gotta step it up. Okay. Well, there we go, <laughs> Yovan. Thank you as always, and we will talk in soon, sir. All right, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. Now joined by friend of the program, longtime friend, RBR Wrestling's Paul Griffin. Paul, good evening. How are you? Yeah, sorry, sorry I'm late. I had to buy a Hawaiian shirt. Did you? Yeah. That's why I said we need to push the show back. Wait, is that I had the to reason? buy a Hawaiian shirt. For what? So, uh, we're... So, at my new job, we're doing this thing where uh, I really want everyone to like me. And uh, the, the team that I'm on, uh, for whatever reason, one day we all accidentally wore plaid and the boss came around. He's like, hey, we all wore plaid today. And then somehow it's turned into a Hawaiian shirt Friday joke. And he's like, we should all wear Hawaiian shirts next Friday. So that's what's happening. And this is also spun off into potentially doing douchebag shirt Fridays and affliction shirt Fridays and all sorts of bad shirt Fridays. So I had to buy a Hawaiian shirt for $12 at Marshall's. Okay. What color? It is white with little trees on it, and it sucks. <laughs> it sucks so much. <laughs> All right. Are you going to go through the whole day with it? Are you going to wear it out on Friday night, or is it just an office thing? Oh, uh, Spider-Man comes out. I'm not going out Friday night. Oh, right. PS4 Spider-Man. Yeah. It drops at 11 Central tonight. Okay. okay. Not going to play it. Don't have a PS4. Have not well, played a video should... game in a couple years. That's that's a shame. It's it's just been a while. I don't like. I have other stuff going on. I just... Well, so do I. Yeah. But then I, there's I certain like, times where the games take priority. That's tr- that's true. I shouldn't say that because I always get on to people when they're like, I don't have time. It's like, well, no, we all have the same amount of time. It's just you allocate your resources and your time to different things. Like, that's mm-hmm. all it is. It's just we have different priorities. We have the same amount of time, different priorities. And video games has just not become a priority in my life. Well, what are you spending all your time doing? Uh, I do you even talk about what... Podcasting, everything else. Say it again. Do you even talk about like 
what you do personally on your show or are you just like all in sports show mode I'm at all sports. times i'm always in sports show mode yeah yeah <laughs> that is that is me but i don't know if there's a difference between like sports show mode chase and uh regular life chase i think it's let me life. ask you this do you do you still send me snapchats all the time uh no because i I deleted snapchat like a couple months ago so did i and i'm sure if i turn it on there's probably like a bunch from you before you <laughs> deleted it i'm deleting this entire portion of the podcast right now i didn't you're exaggerating i didn't send you a bunch of snapchats maybe three a day no that's ridiculous three a day please stop um paul griffin is a liar but um yeah you hey you haven't posted pictures of your cat as we talked about you you've been slacking on that front on instagram yeah, I got into posting pictures of cocktails. Yeah, you're into that. Like you do the whole recipe and everything else. Maxwell's got his food. You've got yeah. your drinks. I got the booze guy. Will has his kids. Yeah. And Eric doesn't use Instagram. Yeah. No Eric pictures, really. He's another guy very much off the radar. Mm-hmm. I think he just went into work, right? It's 8.15 uh, p.m.? Probably, yeah, yeah. But he's actually, he's probably about to get off of work, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and didn't he spend, did I hear on RBR a week or two ago that he spent a couple grand on a real Roman Reigns universal S- title belt? Is that what that was? Supposedly he bought the full on Roman Reigns belt, which is like $2,000. <laughs> uh, it's incredible. I believe he did it. I do too. Man, that is, uh, Eric Brady. What a guy um so a lot of wrestling happened this week a lot of wrestling will be happening in the next couple weeks we have hell in yeah. cell we have the superstar showdown in australia um which i have a lot of thoughts on but first things first all in happened this weekend and they had pyro how much did you mark out when they like they i, I feel like they were just messing with you to begin with when the young bucks and cody came out they said so they had pyro and then no pyro and then you know what they had some yeah, no, I, I Did we, we talked we talked about on RBR about how like pyro is really good for wrestling and that it, it just adds something that it keeps the crowd awake. It makes things feel more important. It's just a like if you get on wrestle Twitter, there's a lot of people being like, oh, we don't need pyro. It's all about the wrestling. And that's fine. But it's those people are like being obnoxious about it in the sense that oh, we don't need pyro, it's all about the wrestling. Well, you can have pyro and all the wrestling. But if you don't have pyro, then you're missing pyro. Well, in and pyro adds so much to it. I agree. And the other thing that I think is still kind of baffling is they don't do the show intros anymore. They just do the then, now, forever, and then you just hear Michael Cole just, welcome to... Yeah, yeah I don't just... need to be welcome to TV shows, and I really <laughs> hate when they do that. It's just really weird like i can understand no pyro if you're cutting costs but i thought that was like a temporary thing and like when you have all this money coming in from tv deals and everything else like i don't really understand the thought process there but then again i understand from their business sense in that i think vince mcmahon and this is something that goes extends to the roman reigns title run and everything else is that they know the wrestling fans like you and i are going to tune in with or without pyro and if they can save mm-hmm. money anywhere and know that it's not going to be enough to push people away people are still going to watch raw people are still going to watch smackdown they're going to watch nxt just because the hardcore wrestling fans are kind of pissed off that there's no pyro guess what it doesn't affect their bottom line at all because they're still going to tune in so i think they've realized that that's why they can they can just 
um, cut costs on Titantrons and just everything else on just everything about the production value. They know that people are still going to tune in who were already tuning in for the last 15 years, regardless of the pyro, the show intros, everything. Like, I think they, uh, from the start, were just like, we need to save some money right now. And then they're like, oh, our numbers literally don't move based on any of this stuff. So let's just water down our product because it doesn't matter. I think you're right. Um, except they're making so much money now, there's no excuse. Right. And I think they'd um, rather just make a little bit more money. So I think part of it also is that uh, the pyro scares Insect Man. And if it goes <laughs> off, it might cause him to have a heart attack in his old age. And then he can't relaunch the XFL. And we just can't have that. So no pyro, no explosions. To be fair, I really am excited for the XFL being back. I don't think it's going to happen. Oh, uh, I mean, they got Andrew Luxdad running it. So it's legit. I just um, don't think it's I, I don't think it's going to get off the ground. They're going to get all this stuff in place and then something's going to happen where it just doesn't. Maybe. Um, or if it happens, great. Like, good, good for them. I'm I'm not exactly like a football fan, so I really don't care. <laughs> you have the XFL hat, though, right? Uh, of course I do. Did you watch the XFL when it was around in the early 2000s? Uh, like once or twice. And I was disappointed that because as a kid, I didn't really know what was going on. And I was really thinking that, like, this team's going to be led by The Rock and this team's going to be led by Stone Cold. Uh, you thought they were just dual sport athletes at this point? Yeah. I didn't even know if they'd be dual sport athletes, but if they'd be, like, in the team's corner and, like, it would be, like, more wrestling than football. Mm. And it was definitely <laughs> just more football than I could stomach. Right. I mean, some of the rules are insane, and I don't think they can do that in 2018. I remember going through it of just, like, some of the things that just how much football's changed, but just some of the stuff that you could do in the XFL is uh, not going to fly in 2018. Um, but, but yeah, I'm just excited because I think it's gonna be a train wreck and it'll just be really fun to watch because I just think it's gonna be absurd that this exists in 2018, but, or I guess 2020, is that the target date? I think so. Yeah. Um, so he's got time, but all in happened. It was a good show. I thought overall, it was nice to not have like a 15 hour pay-per-view to watch and, um, it was just enjoyable. I mean, it was still a long show. It was a long show, but it wasn't, it didn't drag for me. Like, none of it felt like... It was a very happy-to-be-there thing. It was kind of surreal, but also... Is it crazy to say that was just a really good use of a simple stage? Um, I didn't think it was that simple at all. Okay. I, I thought I, it was pretty elaborate, especially for an indie show. Right, it looked great. I just think everything looked good, and I was, I was very surprised at how good everything looked. I was really impressed with it, and I was glad that it came off so professional. Um, I liked it. I loved that they could sell it out. Uh, for the longest time, I was like not hyped for the show, mm-hmm. and I didn't think it was a big deal. Um, Why weren't you hyped? I just, I just don't care. Like these are not wrestlers I consistently watch, so I'm not invested in them and all that stuff. But like, like watching it, like they're all good. Like they're all good wrestlers. So it, I'm easily sold when I start watching them wrestle. Um, like everyone involved putting this show on. Um, because even the worst match on this show wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. It's just it might have been boring, but overall, like it was still a great show. It had something for everyone, and they basically gave everyone what they wanted, which is something that doesn't happen in wrestling that much. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where it was kind of a it was a little bit of a fuck you to the way (laughs) they do things in WWE pay-per-view is kind of like you're getting Roman Reigns, you're getting all this. And they were like, no, we're just going to give you everything you want. And 
I don't think it was on purpose. Like, I don't think they sat back and said, let's do it this way because these guys do this. I think they just said, let's do it this way because let's give the fans what they want. Yeah. And I think it's fun. It's nice to just do a show where the fans go in knowing that they're going to be entertained from just about every match. Like, I didn't think that there was really anything bad here. Like, I think Skrull and Okada was great. That was my favorite match of the night. Um, What did you think of Cody and Nick Aldis? Because it seemed like that was the most controversial I need to watch it again because mm-hmm. um, I watched this on a delay and in that I watched it. I was watching this match at 1.30 a.m. on my birthday and had uh, a little bit of tequila in me and mm. basically fell asleep during this match. And I thought it was boring, but uh, I'm, I've heard enough people talk about it where I realize I am probably definitely wrong. So I need to rewatch it at some point. Yeah, I'm probably going to rewatch it again this week, but overall I thought it was a it was a good show, and I think it's something that should happen every year. I think this is one of those things where it uh, it was definitely a success. I don't think you can look at it any other way, right? I mean, it, they made over a million dollars off Fight or in, in buys, I think, um, mm-hmm. from the Fight app. And, I mean, if this was, like, totally a profitable show, I'm sure we'll see more of it. Well, it all depends How consistent? On do. I don't know. Well, it depends on what they all do, because Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, um, Cody and is there anybody else's contract is all up in the next four months or is it just those four i don't know maybe scroll i thought his I for some reason i haven't heard i have n- i yeah. i don't follow their contract stuff um they make it very clear that no matter what they're sticking together which i think is kind of ominous in that no matter what they could all be going to wwe <laughs> as opposed to like say, like when they say that that doesn't mean that they're staying together in this particular promotion i just think that no matter what they just like working together so whatever right. decision so it's they like make, a, they're it's, a package deal exactly right it's kind of like aj styles and the rest of the bullet club when they all left like it was carl anderson luke gallows aj they all jumped at mm-hmm. the same time and i think that's probably what's going to happen there but i hope they don't come back right now because there is no room it's yeah, there's like absolutely right no now. room there's no room you can't move here there's just where do you where do you think you're gonna go and how do you think you're gonna get treated like you look up and down the card on both shows, even NXT now. Like, where does Keith Lee even fit in? Like, he's great. I don't know where he fits. They have Donovan J- Dijak in NXT, and he's been there for six months, <laughs> and you would never know. Yeah, like, he had a random match um, a couple weeks ago. I think it was against Aleister Black um, before he got injured. I remember seeing that, and I think they renamed him. I think he already has a new he's, name. He's, uh, what is his name? It's something Dijakovic. Yeah, it's <laughs> he got a new name already. Um, and it's not going to stick because you can't say that name and it's never good. You can't hear... chant Dijakovic. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they had to change it. It was fine. It, uh, it was, a I don't weird. understand either, but it's fine. So they change names all the time and people make it all the way to the mid card. Just fine. The so. only team that would, I mean, Kenny, I think would be fine if he made the jump by himself. Like, I think they would still treat him as a big deal and he would have a top spot on SmackDown. But outside of that. I don't I don't think Cody would he left because of the way they used him, right? And yeah. I don't think that much has changed in the last couple of years to make me think he's getting pushed to the top of the mountain like he has on the independence. Like I think he's still he would be in like the Ziggler zone, I think, still. Like I I just yeah. don't think Vince is ever going to see Cody as a top guy. Um to be honest, I don't either. Which is fine. I'm not sure either way. Like, I could see... He's still super young. 
So there's no rush with him. I want to say he's still like 32 or something because he started right. really young. He's almost old enough to be NXT champion. Right. Because he did the Randy Orton thing where it's like they're still super young just because they started. Yeah, he's 33. He just turned 33. So there's no rush there. Um, Nick Jackson, 28. Like he's still super young. Like a lot of these guys, they don't have to make the jump right now. And um, Maxwell and I talked about this in the podcast a couple weeks ago is that like, there's no reason for this many guys to just make this jump right now. There are certain guys like Adam Cole is just so over that it's not going to matter. But like Keith Lee, I mean, I think it would have been better for him to stay on the independence for a couple more years and just become a household name. I think Zack Sabre Jr. should stay on the independence. Like, well, I think Osprey, he's going to. Well, I think Osprey those guys aren't like rushing over. If he doesn't jump over. He may never get paid that he scares me just because I don't know if he's wrestling in five years with the way he um, wrestles and all that kind of stuff. But like Ricochet stayed on the independence for like 10 years. He's 30 yeah. now. Like, it was good that he waited for as long as he did. But I want more of these guys to wait, and I want them to release more of these guys. Because I, when I saw the report that uh, they're interested in Phoenix and Pentagon Jr., I'm like, oh, God. The, Where are they going to go? Uh, NXT, apparently. And they uh, just Like, there's out. so many people on the main roster that should get up and leave. And it would benefit them. Like, you, if you're good enough, you can come back later. Yeah. and you Because that's how wrestling value. works. It is... It is a revolving door where you can leave even on bad terms. You can still find your way back into WWE. And if you're doing nothing and being treated like shit, or they don't think you're good enough, leave and go become good enough. Um, like I, it's exactly what Cody did. And when I say, I don't see him as a top guy. I saw him as a top guy before stardust in that he should have won that briefcase and not Damian Sandow. But you look at someone like Sandow who left and he did nothing now he got pudgy and he didn't do anything and ryback he left he's not doing anything wade barrett he's doing like some tv show like all of these guys could have continued wrestling and they're not yeah and they're never coming back but cody rhodes will probably be back uh juice robinson will probably be back he's another one he's to stay away for a while because this has just been great for his career like i I just he's a totally different person. His value, like he'll probably make a lot more money when he comes back because he's just a more valuable guy now. And right. It worked for EC3. It worked for AJ Styles. Like yeah. he left. I mean, he was an, well, he never really three. got in there. Well, I mean, he did dark matches and he, like if he had made the jump to WWE, like, like right before the aces and eight stuff, when we were <laughs> all pretty out on him, right? Like that stuff, was yeah. just that bad character and everything else. It was just not good. he, he just would have probably flamed out in the WWE. Like, but because he went to New Japan, because he wrestled Shinsuke Nakamura, because he reinvented himself in the Bullet Club, he w- he debuted at the Royal Rumble and was this gigantic deal. Like, mm-hmm. there's just a real value to just taking a chance on yourself and then cashing in at the last moment. Like, even if your career in the WWE is shorter, that's okay because those long careers suck. Like, we get tired of you and we're just like, you're in the Dolph Ziggler zone where it's like, oh my God. You got to move on, man. You got to do something else because you've just been here too long. There is something to be said about just having like a three to five year window in the company and just being really awesome for that short amount of time and then dipping out. Yeah, I think Ziggler would have been a great example of someone who should step away. But uh, but well. he's not stepping away, man. He is the central part of Monday Night Raw, which... I want to talk to you about because this week was um, the Not Shield week. I don't know what to call these guys. Are they going to get a a, a faction name? The Bronze Roman, Drew McIntyre, I don't know. Dolph Ziggler trio. Does everyone need a name? They like, need do a they name. need a... They need one. Okay, it's pro <laughs> wrestling. They need a name. I'm still struggling to buy Braun Strowman is affiliated with people. Mm. Yeah, because 
that's not been his character for so long and they did a drastic character change that I don't buy into. Um, but like Drew McIntyre is really good. Braun Strowman's good. Dolph Ziggler can be good. So like, I'm sure that six man match when they ever have it, it, it the, I guess it's the greatest, uh, Australian rumble, whatever that show's is called that when they're doing it. That's when they're doing the six man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that'll probably be fucking awesome. Um, it'll be good. But I mean, they're all good wrestlers. Going. There's no reason it wouldn't be awesome. I mean, I guess I just I don't care. Like, they're like part of what makes a match good is that I care about both sides, and I don't care about heel Braun Strowman, and I don't care about this group going up against the Shield right now. Like, that's just not something I'm all that interested in. Uh, I think love, that's totally fair. It's just sad because I think if if this company had more foresight, like this could have been a lot more entertaining than it is. But the fact that you can just tell they did not plan to partner up Braun Strowman with Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre. Like you just remember that report when uh, Drew McIntyre got called up that they just threw it together that night for him to be a tag team with uh, Ziggler. And I don't. I remember the report saying that uh, no one gets called up without a six month plan of what (laughs) we're doing with them. And that clearly hasn't been in play. No. But to your point about foresight, like... Ziggler and Drew won the tag belts this week, and this and all could have really been avoided. Long match, like it was amazing it was too long. how long that match was. But this all could have been avoided if uh, they won four or five, four or five months ago. They won that battle royal. Right. They were immediately eliminated from in Houston. Yes, and then instead, uh, the B team won that, and then mm-hmm. we had like a month and a half of them getting to Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt, and then we had them as like champions for too long, and we could have skipped a lot of this if mm-hmm. they had just said oh, you know what, maybe we should put the belts on these guys and they'll feud with the Shield six months down the line. Yeah, it felt rushed. It's just like, oh, crap, we were building it's up. extremely this. rushed. Yeah, they were just like, oh, we need to build this up now. Um, you could tell that they were back and forth on whether or not to have Braun Strowman actually be champion or give it to Roman Reigns up until they decided, all right, Roman's finally going to beat Lesnar clean, win the belt. Um, I feel great, though, about my prediction in January that uh, Braun Strowman was not going to win the Universal title this year. Uh, that's a done deal. He is not going to be the universal champion. Yeah, you might be onto something there. Yeah, I, I just never bought it. And the people who are like, just there are some receipts that uh, need to be checked. because Now, people, wait just a minute. Uh-huh. How do you know he's not going to win it at Hell in the Cell? Because he <laughs> purposely picked the Hell in the Cell. Because I, no one can get in or out. That wasn't and even my biggest... I don't know if you've it. ever seen a Hell in the Cell. Yeah. Even the first one. Uh, no one's ever gotten in or out. That's just how it works. <laughs> Literally, no one's ever shown up in the first match and ripped the door off the cage and walked in and tombstone the Undertaker. Uh, no one's ever interfered in a Hell in a Cell match. You can't, you well, can't Braun prove Strowman, it. It's never happened. He is a he knows his WWE history, so he's not yeah. worried about any of that. He knows how these work. Um, but no, my biggest gripe with that was he he ca- like he made his announcement that he was going to challenge Roman Reigns um, at Hell in a Cell. Two hours later, he turned on Roman in the main event partnered up with two other guys, laid out Roman, laid out Dean, mm-hmm. laid out um, Seth Rollins. If he was a smart television character, he would not have cashed in his briefcase to start the show. If he planned, if he was a cerebral assassin and planned on forming his own shield later in the night, he would have been like, oh yeah, I'll partner with Roman and then plan to turn on him with that trio and cash in and been Universal Champion at the end of Raw last week. That's a good point. Why didn't why didn't that happen? 
That's my. Like, I wrote why about. Did I was, he, I was, why did he turn over the briefcase as an honorable man and then like totally set it up later where he could just walk out with the belt? Michael Cole was yelling. He knew what he was doing all along. Like he what? Then he's an idiot because he wasted his cash and opportunity. He could have just done it right then and there. What? And he tried to yeah. do that on Roman Reigns the week prior and got like what? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. No, it's just a. I understand this is what this company is, and like getting annoyed about this kind of stuff is just like, then why are you watching? You're just gonna drive yourself nuts. But like, that's the little things that just drive me insane because it's so stupid. And you like him, Johnny Gargano, and the way he lost to Ciampa was hilarious. And I still think Johnny Gargano is like one of the dumbest TV characters as well. But like, I don't. I think they're telling a very good story there, and it's weird that that's coming from the same company. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not in on the Gargano character. I think he's. Just... I mean, they're they're literally doing a thing where he's letting his anger take the best of him, and it's hurting him. Yeah. It it's. I think it's good, and he will eventually overcome the his demons, and then he will win the title, and it'll be great, and everyone will be happy, and his wife will be there, and streamers will not be there, but maybe they'll do some confetti or something, and it'll be like a big deal. Are we sure he wins the title? Yeah, he has to. Okay, I don't think he does. Well, if he doesn't, he doesn't. But I feel like he does at WrestleMania next year. Did and by WrestleMania, that... I mean the show before it. I was going to say, okay. Um, did you notice Drew Gulak was on the Raw roster that went out at one point? Of course so... I did. Okay. Of course I did. I have a theory that it was him and Mike Bennett <laughs> yeah. were like, fuck it, let's just go. They'll never notice. <laughs> and they went out there and joined the and the, the thing. I think it. I think he might be doing 205 Live. I didn't watch. He, he was week. on it on two. He was on oh, 205 Live this week. week. Yeah. See, I didn't watch it this week. So he's I'll a very. It. Apparently, he's got a big role on that show. So. Well, I mean, he was in the SummerSlam title match, and I, I'm not a big Drew Gulak guy, but he's improved, I think, in the last year. Um, but yeah, I was just like, oh, is he like phasing out of 205 Live and just jumping back in the roster, like, and him just becoming a tag team with Mike Bennett? That would uh, that'd be something. <laughs> he really re- strikes me as Stephen Richards. And I don't understand why. Okay. I think it's just because he cut a lot of promos and he was like doing like annoying PowerPoint stuff, which mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of Right to Censor. But Steve Richards is actually a really good wrestler. I think Drew Gulak's a really good wrestler. Uh, I, I think uh, he might be a little boring, but that doesn't make him a bad wrestler. Okay. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a big Gulak I mean, guy. there's worse people on the roster. I mean, you have Leo Rush over there. I just don't know why we're wasting our time with Drew Gulak. Cedric Alexander is too good a wrestler to be wasting time on a SummerSlam card with someone like Gulak. Maybe like Mustafa so. Ali is there. You have just so much talent across the board and Leo Rush. And I mean, I love Leo Rush. That guy is just, I feel like we've put more discussion into a five live than the people that work on it. Mm. Well, Drake Maverick just left the show. So he's still on it. He yeah, just... no, but like that was what, what was your first reaction when you saw him coming out in the, the uh, not, I was going to say the shield attire, but I'm like, wait, what is the difference really between the authors of pain gear and the shield gear? But so we covered all of this on RBR this week. Okay. So I'll implore anyone to go listen to it. And that's that. Just kidding. Uh, it was well, the, one of the things that I really enjoyed the most was that we, we got into this whole thing about how every match has to have a commercial break because they think WWE is terrified that someone is going to change the channel the <laughs> moment a commercial comes on. Okay. And their only idea of a cliffhanger is uh, what's going to happen in this match when really I don't think that matters. Um, so to me, putting uh, Drake Maverick dressed up like one of the authors of pain with no explanation at all <laughs> with them is one of the best cliffhangers they've ever done in their entire production ever. And yeah. that you saw that you're not changing the channel. You want to know what the hell you just saw and why it took place because there was zero explanation for this 
up until he got into the ring. I put in my notes that like, oh, okay. I'm excited to see how they're going to explain this one. I was expecting 205 Live is canceled <laughs> and Drake Maverick yeah. needs a new home. I'll, I mean, I, I wouldn't be so shocked if this is something that pulls him away from that show. But I mean, this is not how I would have done Authors of Pain. I would have left them the same as they were in NXT with... Uh, well, that wasn't a possibility because you know, he didn't want to travel. Paul Ellering did not want to go from city to he city. Literally, like he literally tweeted that he would do it. I don't think he would. He's like, he has his own So do you think he saw the reports and tweeted against them? Yeah, he only I has do. to work one day a week. I, I, super, I, is he 80? I feel like he's, let me see how old Paul He's straight up, he, he's he straight up dismissed okay. that rumor. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that. He's 65. He's almost old enough to be a senator. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if Vince was like, he's just, I'm not putting him on my TV. Like, I wonder if Vince just did not want someone like Paul Ehrling on it. I, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know either. Um uh maybe pair him with his daughter at some point uh down the line. Oh um, is she in NXT? Uh she's always she was in the May Young Classic last year. I don't think she's in NXT, but okay. she could be. Um it, it's not what I would have done, but they haven't done anything with them and this is at least interesting and amusing. Mm-hmm. Um so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's... It is interesting to come out with these guys and say, I'm going to make them the Raw Tag Team Champions when I think they're supposed to be heels. And the heels just beat up some heels to win the belts. And, like, there's a lot of heels at play that are probably going to be feuding with each other. Well, I think the tag team division looked a lot better this week. This is something that... Sure did. SmackDown has just done such a great job of. Like, last week, they opened the show um, with the tag team segment, uh, New Day, and they just... Like, one of the things that I appreciated was that, like, they had a celebration. They had Booker T come out, and no heel faction came out and, like, ruined it in the cliche way. They just, like, let the fans enjoy the New Day being champions again, and the whole five-time stuff, and you had the callbacks to Biggie's NXT character and all that kind of stuff. But, like, I enjoyed the fact that they just let people have their moment, because the crowd yeah. obviously loves the New Day and just let them have that nice, funny thing with Booker T. And then they had that uh, the bar triple threat match that they won. And it was just like a reminder of just how good the SmackDown tag team division is and how good of a job they have built that. And then you watch Raw and it's like the B-team stuff, which has just been atrocious. And I'm still annoyed that Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre took like 15 minutes to beat them. And it was 10 minutes and 10 seconds. I looked it up yesterday. Oh, my God. It felt longer. I think It, it should have been five break. minutes at the yeah. most. No, I think it should have been a squash because the way that this show was booked is that, like, they literally tore apart the revival to come out to the show, and the revival was... Cl- it, that part just drove me nuts because I'm just like, if we're supposed to believe that they can just, just throw around the revival, can beat up the shield, the B-team's entire gimmick is just being a joke. Like, that match... Should, Drew McIntyre... Should have ended. They should have had the whatever the claymore into the zigzag, like to start the match. Like that's how it I, should have started. I agree. I'm a little disappointed they haven't ended the match during the commercial break. That's never happened. Yeah, I would um, have loved if they just came back from commercial, and be like, guys, we need to update you. Um, they won. Yeah, <laughs> like that would have been hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, but hey, at least they're trying with these guys, and I mean, I still like McIntyre, and I mean, they're good. And I like you said, they'll have a good uh, six-man tag match, and they're trying to do something with the Shield. And... I mean, they tried with the B-team, too. Um, and pr- I guess props to them for trying different things. I never found them amusing in the slightest. I didn't find uh, their comedy to be funny. Um, and I don't think they're good wrestlers. Like, it blows my mind that uh, Michael McGillicuddy hasn't Curtis improved. Axel's really bad. I mean, Bo Dallas wasn't fine in this match. 
he, he was like completely off with what he was doing with Ziggler. Yeah. Speaking of but, people being off, Brie Bella. Do you think she was a little rusty this week? No, no. I think not everyone should be doing suicide dives. Yeah. Well, I, think I don't think she one... was good at them before. Um, I don't think, I, I mean, you really not the entire roster is doing suicide dives. No one needs, not everyone needs to do it. I don't need to see it in every match. Brie Bella doesn't need to do them. Nikki Bella doesn't need to do them. Daniel Bryan doesn't need to do them. Like, maybe only two guys should do it. Who are the best suicide dive guys in the company? Ember right Moon. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Because it's like super quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's Her got like intensity behind she's it. She's got that like uh, Andrade movements where it's like, holy shit, when Andrade does that elbow to the back of the head, like how mm-hmm. quick he is. Only a certain, like, you can't really teach that kind of quickness. Ember Moon has that with her kicks. Like, she's super fast, and it's just like, oh, my God. I think Ember Moon's probably the only person who does a good suicide dive. The mm. rest are, like, pretty safe and slow motion, which is good. I want them to be safe. But I also would rather nobody do them. Okay. I'm sure Ricochet does, but I don't really ever see him probably. do Probably. Yeah. Um, he probably does it with, like, three flips involved. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Rebella, my final analysis on those two spots was the first one was Sarah Logan's fault. Like, you could tell that Sarah Logan was late getting up there to hit her in the face. Yeah, but, like, shit happens. I'm not going to yeah. sit back and, like, it was just oh, awkward. I can't believe they botched it. Like, But they did it again. I think that's the it, best part, is bummer. they tried it again. I, I, just... I, I You got to give Rebella some credit in that if you've watched any Total Divas or Bellas or whatever... Uh, Are you still watching I all of that? I try. Okay. Um, I would... I mean, it's all bullshit, but there's parts of it that I think are probably, like, somewhat true, and... I think she posts about this on Instagram, but like she was really concerned about getting back into uh, the shape that she was in pre baby. Mm-hmm. And she did like you. She looks fantastic. So oh, good for, sure. for her. Yeah. She's just a bad wrestler. And I did not miss I mean, her working in the ring. Nikki Bell is fantastic. I still am all about Nikki Bell. She's still great. They're fine. It's all fine. Okay. Like, even the, she is better than like, so many wrestlers that came before that it's totally fine. I don't get bothered by it. Okay. Um, are you going to apologize to Connor? The crusher? No, Connor. He's dead. From the Asc- God. I meant Connor from the Ascension because no. one of your running jokes with Connor from the Ascension is that he was really out of shape for a long time. <laughs> he got back in shape. They've um, been having good matches on raw. The Ascension's improved you- a lot. What what is what is this? Are you trying to? Am I on one of those shows where you're trying to punk me? No, Connor. Is this looks a what good. would you do? What is this is like? What would you do where someone starts talking about the ascension being good, and all of a sudden you have to like you're put in a spot like you got you got to answer this right or else the no. ascension's gonna crash through the door. <laughs> like he didn't get in shape. Yes, They're not did. good. He looks good. No, he got. I'm telling you, Connor is a lot better now. The ascension looks pretty good now. He straight up called. Chad Gable a sawed off duck putt and the crowd didn't laugh they didn't boo they were just like oh wow this guy sucks and that was it that was the reaction I've never heard a reaction like that before do we see Jason Jordan on WWE television again shit I heard that he might never return and that he's like working as a as as an agent yeah Yeah. I saw that too and I wonder if this is like I don't I don't want to say like a I don't know. It just seems like this is not a nail in the coffin, but like a really ominous sign that we Chad had like Gable a neck problem back right? to television. Say it again. He had a neck problem, right? Yeah. I mean, Chad Gable's awesome. I want him on TV, so it's fine. He is good, but it's a bummer that like 
Jason Jordan just couldn't get off the ground, I guess. Like he was just starting to get steam and then he had to go have surgery on his neck. And now it might be like career ending. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's not good. The fact that it, and you don't see the reports anymore. And I wonder, I don't know. He might, I'll, I'll tweet out Dave and see what, we, see what news we can get. Okay. Thank you. That would be great. Um, is yeah. he one of the only remaining like indie guys that haven't blocked you on Twitter? Dave Meltzer. Mm-hmm. I keep trying. I think he's muted me. Why are you being? What are you, what's going on, Paul? Let, let I'm just trolling. Live. They're good. I'm just trolling, Dave. Okay. He responds to like the dumbest shit. So like maybe one day I'll get him. Maybe one day I'll get him in what yeah. capacity? What do you mean? I'll get him that? to respond to one of my dumb things. Like I don't know. What did I? I tweeted him something the other day that was obnoxious. I'll have to I'll have to dig it up while we continue talking. <laughs> Okay, so you're not going to admit the Ascension is actually good now and that Connor is back in shape. No, you're an absolute lunatic. <laughs> uh, it's in my notepad, and I'm actually I'm not being disingenuous here. I actually have it in my notes that he looked good. I'm glad that you, you took notes. Um, I would say that this was a, a bullet point that you could have left off. You think so? Yeah. Um, what about this bullet point? An Alexa, Bith- Alexa Bliss Elias angle. Love angle. Oh, that's not happening. That was just a one-off this week, I'm sure. It could work, though. And I was like, is <laughs> this something that could still be a thing in the company? Like, would this get be a bad look if those two had a love angle of some kind? Anything is better than that story where she was going to be sleeping with Enzo. Oh, yeah, that was terrible. But this what is actually something... What a horrible idea. Fans would eat this up because fans love Elias and fans love Alexa. And the promos themselves, I think, would just be good. I think this is actually one of the only love triangle potential angles that i would be fascinated by it was one segment i don't think they're doing anything with it i don't think so either but it was just something i was thinking about like we don't see that anymore and this is one that i would uh i would be okay with elias needs something to do he's got to get in a he, he has nothing to do it's crazy he's too over oh he's i too here it is i asked uh during raw i asked dave Meltzer if uh the shield were going to get out of jail and if they posted <laughs> bond and he didn't respond the goofiest part of Raw was that screen cap of Mike Rome, his tweet of oh, yeah. like, what was going on with the Shield's arrest. I was just like, that's like one of those where y'all talk about where it's like if someone walked into the room that did not understand professional wrestling and was just and they just saw that tweet screen capped. Like, what are you watching? Is this a Dis- like what is Disney Channel show? Like, what is this? There are a lot of moments in wrestling that are like, <laughs> I hope no one sees me watching this. Yeah. Like, there are times where I'm watching wrestling, like I'd rather be walked in jerking off, uh, rather than like someone see me watching what's on TV. Mm. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was not great. Um, what'd you think of Liv Morgan doing the "You Can't See Me" to Nikki Bella to start off the match? I don't even remember this taking place. That's how she started off the match. Uh, That's and, cool. Yeah. Good for her. I thought it was cool. I wonder if they planned that or if she was just like, "Oh, I'm gonna get some." She was. She was. Uh, she's starting a riot. Yeah, they. You know that's what their nickname is. They're the Riot Squad. Yeah, that was one of the things she was rioting. Um, this is a two-parter. One-parter. Uh, Baron Corbin, mm-hmm. much better than Kurt Angle. We don't need Kurt Angle back. He is a very uh, good disagree. general manager. Okay. I think Kurt Angle is a uh, better wrestler than Baron Corbin. At this point. Oh, you mean it being a general manager? Yeah, I meant. I don't want any general managers on TV. Okay. Paige is still good. I like her. Paige is good, but like I would rather no general managers than any general managers. Yeah. 
Um, I just appreciate that he is. I, I don't know. I thought Baron Corbin was really good this week. I thought he played his role well. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't good. wrestle for 20 minutes to open the show. Yes. I can't believe they're still doing the Finn Balor stuff. I was also kind of annoyed that Finn Balor just smiled at, at Corbin based on how last weekend did. The continuity error kind of bothered me. Oh, because... that was the one? It wasn't him leading out half the roster on Baron Corbin's orders to break up the... Wait, the... was he part? I didn't even notice he was in that group. He was led he? the second wave of uh, <laughs> Oh, so he was in the second superstars. wave. <laughs> yeah. That made no sense. That like Of anything in that segment, that's what irked me the most. Okay. I didn't even notice that. Oh, well. But did you notice when they were in the backstage area where the Shield were getting arrested and put in the, the cop car that uh, they were separated by baby faces and heels? Uh, no. Yeah, they actually had some continuity there. All the heels that's were on one surprising. side and the faces were on the other. I mean, that's kind of how they do it. Everyone's friends. But at least they, you know, they do that in the fly. So at least they uh, did that a smart way. But um, I just, do you want to see Baron Corbin versus Kurt Angle at Survivor Series? Is that what they're leading to? I don't know. I heard that Kurt Angle was taking time off to, uh, to like prepare for an actual like return to the ring, which I do want to see. I want to see Why? him wrestle people who but i don't not baron corbin yeah. i would like to see kurt angle versus uh daniel bryan uh, uh kurt angle versus seth rollins like i want to see kurt angle versus good wrestlers how is he still getting cleared though uh i don't know yeah i just i'm good i don't want to watch kurt angle anymore huh? i just don't like him being back he's like one of those guys i remember posting in the rbr neighborhood like just looking at some of his old promo work and in-ring work from just like 15 years it's a different person yeah, no, it's a bummer that like he is bad at promos now. He was hilarious, and he was really good. He was re- a great wrestler. I think it's just promo. how they're scripting him. I don't think they're letting him have fun. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a watered down like a, they do the same thing with every. They think that like you're supposed to lose what made them great in the first place when you become a, an authority figure, and it's just it's not entertaining. Um, yeah, I don't really, I don't really like it. But um, Paige is still good. Paige, they let her stay Paige. I don't think there's much of a difference between like her absolute. I think she's actually good at it, too. Yeah. But I don't think she's going to be in it for the long haul, right? I mean, she's not going to wrestle again, so I don't see why not. I think she's going to wrestle again, just not for the WWE. Oh, I don't. Okay. She's still too young. I don't. Th- I think she's too hurt. Um, I mean, we thought that with Daniel Bryan for a long time. Then, yeah, but Daniel Bryan wasn't the same as like she almost got paralyzed. I'm not disagreeing. I just, I, I don't know. I would not be surprised if she's wrestling somewhere. If some she point. starts getting into like ring shape again, like by no means does she look bad now, but she's not in the same shape she was when she wrestled. Uh, then I might start getting suspicious. But I think she's pretty happy with how things are playing out. Where do you think uh, um, Rey Mysterio fits in this roster right now? Uh, we talked on the, the wrestling show about how probably against Shinsuke for the U S title who also is never on SmackDown. That is correct. <laughs> I don't even remember the last time he was on. Has he been on SmackDown this month? Uh, I think he was on last week. Well, like he got written out basically because they don't only, they don't have enough time for a Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton program and a Shinsuke program. So there's like, no one for him to feud with. Exactly. There's like literally no one on the SmackDown roster for Shinsuke to feud with. I literally Unless they decide they... to push Ty Dillinger. Uh, okay, so there's no one for him to feud with. Um, right. Yeah, I just think that they had to make a choice. They were like, uh, either Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton's can be our mid-card program or Shinsuke versus somebody like Ty Dillinger, and they just went with the other one. So they're like, we're going to keep you off TV. 
until we find something for you to do. And after this, I, you didn't. I think it's fine keeping someone off TV for a while, though. Like, yeah. well, I just think it's weird. He just won the title and then he's off TV. I think it's better to be off TV than on it and like doing nothing. What did you think about Andrade losing clean? Uh, they keep putting him in there doing like good stuff with top guys. So I'm fine with it. Okay. I thought I, I didn't think he should lose for like a solid year. Cause I still think the money is in Andrade being the one to beat AJ Styles for the championship down the line. Um, I don't think it's Brian. I don't think it's the Miz. I think it's Andrade. Like he's just too good. Like that guy is unbelievable. He should stop talking though. I don't know why they're letting him talk on SmackDown now. Yeah, I missed this promo, but I haven't heard a single good thing about it. It's you can tell he's uncomfortable with it, and it's it's just not good. You have someone so good at promos next to him and Zelina Vega that there's just why are you doing this? There's just no reason to do that. Why are they letting people out of NXT who aren't good at cutting at least a decent promo? Well, I don't really care for him because if you have a mouthpiece, it's just like the Brock thing. Is if you have a if you have a good mouthpiece for somebody, it's fine. But like, right? But this is developmental. Like, yeah. you should be able to do at least something. I guess. But Andrade is just so good in the ring. And his match with uh, Daniel Bryan last week was fantastic. And I just I, I, just think he is a budding superstar. And he's just someone that should be protected in a major way. Like, I don't know of many other guys in the main roster right now that I'd be going above and beyond to protect. But he's one of them. And I just, I think the money is in him beating AJ Styles at WrestleMania next year. Yeah, but I don't think they hurt him by losing to Daniel Bryan. No, but I mean, Bryan's been on a little cold streak. He lost to The Miz at SummerSlam. He's just been, uh, I don't know. Yeah, but losing to The Miz isn't a bad thing either. Like, these are all That's fair. very I don't capable. Know. I, just, I would have just had him on a winning streak of, like, I, I would not want the crowd to see him get getting pinned or tap out anytime soon. Well, it's too late for that. It's happened. <laughs> um, they're running out of time with this AJ Samoa Joe stuff because you can tell this... Like they they've they've said as much as they can. Like this is the end of the feud after the Hell in a Cell match. But I like, don't think so. I think Joe could win it, and they keep going. Oh God, I don't know. It's it's getting they're, they're doing they're good, good stuff. They're doing good stuff, but I think it's I don't know how many weeks in a row they can do this. You and I have very different opinions on these things. That's <laughs> I'm good. discovering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't. To be it. I I think you could stop it now and come visit it again later. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I could see it going on for another month or two. I do not want that at all. I don't know who you transition to. I guess the Miz makes the most sense to me is you do Miz and AJ Styles for the rest of the year. And then you have AJ versus Brian wins the rumble. No, I have Andrade winning the rumble. What happens to Brian's comeback story? I don't think he has one. It just doesn't happen. The The whole thing he's doing right now is a comeback story. Yeah. I would not. Brian, this is the rumble that Brian wins, and he goes after AJ. Yeah, no thanks. Not interested. Assuming AJ even, I bet Miz wins the belt by then, and we main event may or by main event I mean the match earlier in the night before Roman Reigns has a match. Uh, <laughs> right, is Miz versus Brian for the belt, and then Brian beats Miz there, and he's finally done it. Uh, no, thank you. I just. I, this is like good, solid storytelling, and you're like, Mm-mm, I want to see Andrade <laughs> win the belt just because. No, I mean, I think I'm not into like, I just don't think Daniel Bryan's going to be around that much longer. He literally just signed a multi-year deal today. I don't, I, I don't trust some, like, I don't trust it. I really don't. I just, I would be very, very scared of giving him the top title. Honestly. Oh, you mean like for injuries and yeah. whatnot? Like, I he's just, fine. He's, they wouldn't have cleared him if he was fragile. 
Oh, I I I disagree. But they don't they wouldn't clear someone who's like, mm, well, he can wrestle, but if he gets hit slightly in the wrong spot, he's dead. Like that's it's everyone. Not on that. the it's not that. Just I, I just I I'd be nervous. I would not want to put the title on him until I know for a fact that he can carry the company, work every show for a good six months. Like I just that's that's at WrestleMania next year. This okay. isn't tomorrow. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I would be a little worried about it. I, I wouldn't do it, is what I'm saying. And I, w- I like investing in young talent. And I would just rather them invest in somebody like Andrade. And I think AJ Styles has been a champion long enough that you want to give someone the rub. It's I would be okay if they did it with The Miz, just because of the year he's had. And he did beat Brian at SummerSlam. So I'm okay with that. But um, if I could fantasy book and I was booking this program and I was working with Road Dog and Ryan Ward... I would pitch. Uh, so they would get all the blame for your bad booking decisions. This is not bad. You would not be upset if AJ Styles and Andrade Cien Almas was the main event at WrestleMania next year. There's no way. I, would, I, I wouldn't be. But that also entails that Brian has his comeback story still. And I think his comeback story is finally conquering The Miz and capturing the WWE title, which he can do in the same night. Yeah. yeah I'm over it. It sounds Plus, sad. like I'm. I used to be such a big Dana Bryan guy. And I'm just... I'm kind of bored. Well, shame on you. I know. I wish I was more invested. I'm just not invested in him. If I had to watch, it it is very good. Yeah, he's he's fine. Um, But I get it. It's it's fun to like. I want to get into new people too, and they haven't built anybody new in quite a while. Like the last new guy was Roman Reigns. And Andrade has good long term potential for them. He's just an exciting young prospect that actually could see being really fun and just a great heel for years and years like he's just gonna put on big match after big match and he he's just a different kind of wrestler that just has a different kind of style that just he's huge he's an athletic freak he just he does everything and it's kind of amazing that he's where he is because when he first debuted in nxt it was not good and, oh you didn't uh, like suspenders and hat yeah, andrade that was, that was not good and uh he's come a long way so i i just i like stories like that yeah but, I mean, he'll have his time. Everyone's going to get their time, I'm sure. I I don't know. We'll see. A lot of there's there hasn't been someone in recent memory where I can be like, gosh, I really wish they had a better like. Even Rob Van Dam got a fucking chance. Like everyone, have you seen the who, size of this roster? Not everybody's getting I, a chance. I think everyone will eventually get their time, whether it be like Finn Balor did, where he had it for a night, or whatever. Like, Are we counting that as a time for him. I'm counting it as the time. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, for, for getting, my theory to work. Yeah. Roman Reigns is carrying the title for a year and a half minimum. Well, he's got to beat Lesnar's number. Yeah, like he's keeping the belt for a long period of time. So I just. I don't, I don't think that's true. I honestly don't think they even had a clue what they were going to do after getting the belt off Lesnar. And I think Roman could lose it as soon as like they're like, hey, let's do this thing now. Yeah, no way. I think this is going to happen for like a, at least a year. SummerSlam at next year is the earliest he could lose it, in my opinion. Hey, if it, if that happens, good for them. I approve of uh, long-term booking. No, not good for them, because I don't want to watch Roman Reigns on top for just months and months. Uh, I, I think the issue is I could and have complained about Roman Reigns all day. Yeah. Like, forever. And at this point, it's just not worth complaining about. No, it's um, just, it's, I don't want to complain about it. It's just more of like, it, it's a defeatist attitude where it's like, it's just, it's happening. So... Yeah, Whatever. It, and that's how I look at it. So now I'm going to try to watch Roman Reigns segments uh, differently because this is what they've picked. I can sit around all day yelling and complaining like, oh, it should be this. It should be this. 
but it is it is this and uh now i will complain about other things like why he had to back in a police truck into raw if <laughs> he was in such a hurry that. why <laughs> didn't he drive in like he also why did he take a police truck like there's a whole lot, a lot of logical loopholes that i would rather complain about than uh i wish somebody else was in roman's spot okay paul griffin this was a pleasure as always thank you for coming on the show again Thanks for uh, running me off as soon as I disagreed with all of your takes. <laughs> this is not running you off. It's almost been an hour. <laughs> oh, good point. Like this is, it's not a short episode. What? Like, I, I'm not running you off for a difference of opinions. Well, I'll gladly come back and talk for another hour okay. whenever. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was great. So I appreciate you taking the time as always, sir. Yeah, thanks. Do I need to plug my shows or are you going to plug my shows? I can do that right now. Uh, okay. We can follow you on Twitter at unpaulfessional. We can listen to you every week on rbi wrestling on wednesday nights and we so it's a mixler.com slash rbr wrestling it's mixler.com mix m m i x l r.com it was from that generation of the internets right uh dot com slash fan off which is the same name of the website we host the show on it's like a podcast network there's a bunch of podcasts there yeah um so go do that and you have paul griffin's absurd yeah, that's more uh, when I feel like doing it show. Mm, yeah. Um, it's just me talking to my friends. Yeah. So, I mean, you might It's pretty me. political. You might hear me on there. I mean, if I repost this. If, yeah. if, odds are someone's listening to this and be like, I do hear him on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, either way, great stuff as always, sir. And uh, we will talk again soon. Thanks. Right, Chris Wick of Yahoo Sports is here, one of my favorite MLB writers. Um, Chris, we were able to do this. We were able to connect and uh, talk some baseball tonight. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I am. I'm good, man. Um, I'm glad we're able to do this tonight. Um, we're nearing the stretch run of Major League Baseball. Uh, we have the Mariners imploding in their clubhouse, and D. Gordon just saying to people like, "Ah, oh, we're gonna have to." take it inside we're gonna slam the door and figure things out and then it turns out him and gene segura got in a little bit of a tussle we won't ever know because it stays inside the clubhouse um so not great <laughs> to end the season for seattle they were a fun story for a while but they are no longer really in the chase because the oakland a's decided to become good this year so a lot of fun stuff but the first thing i want to ask you shohi Atani. Um, what do you do there, man? Like he hit two home runs after getting a Tommy John recommendation. And I, I just, I have no idea what to think about this because, um, Chris, I'm not a doctor, so I, uh, have no recommendation here. I, I don't have Dr. James Andrews on my speed dial. So I was not able to confirm with him what should happen here before we started recording. But, um, what are you thinking with Otani and the angel situation right now? Well, I'm not a doctor either, so I feel like we just need to speculate wildly. And That's what this podcast was built on. Yeah, <laughs> that's good because I am ready to go. So, yeah, I, I feel like my my big issue the entire time uh, with them putting him back on the mound was I guess I assumed that they just needed more evidence that he needed the surgery. I, I think the Angels probably knew it was likely, and so they wanted to see maybe if he could pitch through it. and. It's pretty rare, but it has happened. Masahiro Tanaka has a tear in his elbow. He's been able to pitch. 
Uh, I think Irvin Santana tore his elbow in like 2009 and has never had the surgery. So it can happen. It doesn't usually. And apparently they needed one start to confirm that for Otani. Um, you know, I, I think the silver lining is there's a chance he could be back next year as a hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, would they be willing to do that? I mean, I guess because th- they're doing it right now and, and they know that he's injured. So um, I, I think at this point, it's probably best off that he has the surgery as soon as possible. He takes whatever time he needs to recover and he probably sees some time at DH next year and then plans to return to the mound in 2020. And I think all things considered, that's probably the best thing for him and the angels. It's interesting because the angels are the team telling him that he should get the Tommy John surgery. Like he's this, he was so much fun to start the year. He's their big free agent prize. Um, That's also a big bummer for them. If he can't pitch until 2020, because Mike Trout's free agency is vastly approaching and they really need uh, Shoei Otani to be um, a guy who's helping them as much as humanly possible before uh, Trout's um, potentially going to be out the door. So I, uh, it's an interesting dilemma, but I, I just I don't know what they do. But it seems like they want him to get the surgery, and if he does, he's not pitching until 2020. And um, apparently – so if he got it, like, next month, would he be able to hit in the spring? Like, is he going to just – I don't know how that works. This is a really bizarre thing. And then my other question is, is this still something they should try him doing both? Or do you just like say, maybe this whole pitching and hitting thing's not going to work out. And let's just let him be an awesome hitter for the next couple of years. I, I think, I mean, selfishly, I, I want them to keep doing it because it's just, it's one of the coolest things I think I've, I've seen just as a fan of baseball. So I hope they keep doing it. And if, if they intend to contend next year, um, I think he's proven to be one of their better hitters, so it, it makes sense to at least do that. And then in 2020, I guess you can reevaluate if you want him on the mound full time. Um, your first question was, what, can he be back? You know, I, I don't know what the timetable would be for a position player. I feel like guys have gotten it and like Glaber Torres, I think, got it last year in April or May and he started the season okay, so I I would say conservatively it's about a year recovery. So so maybe not. I mean maybe maybe he's able to come back in August next year. Maybe it's sooner. Um, we just that's not something you see a ton. I know it's happened a handful of times where a position player gets Tommy John, but it is not common. So um, I I think he'd be able to come back, but I guess anything any, any timetable by, by me. Uh, would be speculation. Because again, I, I'm not a doctor. Mm. How much do you think this affects how Billy Epler is going to approach uh, the winter meetings? Like now that they know that he needs Tommy John and all this other stuff, how much do you think this affects uh, the Angels offseason plans? Yeah, I, I I have a hard time grappling with the Angels. I, I thought coming into the year, just given the talent there and... It, to me, like it, you know, it was Mike Trout and and pretty much everybody else. Um, getting Otani helps, but then you have a lot of veteran, bigger contracts, and that puts them in a real tough spot. Especially knowing that you're not going to have Otani on the mound for 2019. I don't. I really don't know what you do. I, I, you could try and fake it and and go for it one more time and and 
They kind of did that this offseason with Otani and Cozart and, you know, making sure Upton was signed long term. Obviously, that didn't work out. So, yeah, I don't have a good answer for you because they have this money locked up already. It it makes sense to me to just say, well, we we already have those guys. We have Albert Pujols, who is not going to get any better moving forward. We might as well just try and win while we can. And while that's exponentially harder without Otani, the, the makeup of the team kind of suggests that you have to do it. Because like you said, um, you could be losing Mike Trout pretty soon. So might as well go for it. Yeah, I think they have to. I mean, I mean, Billy Epler, he knew what he was walking into when he took this job. Is like they had a very just uh, unenviable situation because like Mike Trout's in his prime and they're wasting every year. And this is another wasted year. Um, he was hit with the injury bug a little bit more this year. But um, I don't know. I just I, I think they're still, like you said, they're in win-now mode. And Otani was a big help in that regard. But uh if he's gone next year, like, what do you do? Like, obviously you want to upgrade in right field if possible. Like that would be nice. Um, just adding somebody, I mean, Anderson Simmons has been great for them. So that's nice to have him. But, uh, I, I just, I, I don't know what they do because they need to do something this off season and, uh, they have a lot of holes. Um, spoilers, the Los Angeles angels of Anaheim, a lot of holes. Yeah, and, and I think the the other thing that hurts them is there's not a lot of tradable assets. Yep. I mean, you could you could trade Trout, but I, I don't know. Trout. I don't know. Right. You I don't know can't. what that says to the fans. Um, which you know it, it does matter somewhat. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you're not trading Pujols. If you're trading Upton, you're probably going to eat that salary, even though I think he's still a pretty good player. I guess you know Andrelton Simmons could be maybe a guy who brings you back something, but I guess the, the the big thing here is they just need so much help uh, in the farm system. and Well, that's um, down the road. I just still don't think they can do anything there. I think what they're right. going to do is like, Nick Markakis, come on down, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, yeah, I, I think that. I think you really have to revamp the pitching rotation because you have a, a, they built this team with a lot of injured guys. And if you're going to plan for 2020 when Otani returns, you might still be doing a six-man rotation. So you still need a solid five guys before he even comes back. And they, they don't have two guys who, who I can depend on for 150 innings. So Speaking of I, I think pitched and yeah. free agents. Who do you think has pitched more innings this year? James Shields or Talos Keuchel? Oh, wow. Well, that's, that seems like you're leading me to, to pick Shields. So yes, is it, Shield? it is Shields. 182 innings. That is insane at age 37. You know, I, I'm glad you brought him up because I uh, I recently was in Chicago. Uh, that's where I grew up, and I actually saw him pitch uh, on Sunday against the Red Sox. So, yeah, he he's had kind of an interesting season. He's he's kind of had a comeback year. I know his ERA is still high, but not in the fives. And I, I'm not trying to build him up as as anything special, um, but he has dropped his release point down a bit from time to time he kind of varies on the mound and and that's helped him so i i think at at this point in his career he's probably a serviceable five and i feel like maybe that's not special but that's something considering he probably should have been out of the league a year or two ago he's somebody who should be on i, I don't know he should have been like on the the nationals before they decided to not do anything and really fumble the trade deadline he's someone who should have been added to the back into their playoff rotation um 
I didn't really understand why he didn't get moved. He's someone like Matt Harvey, another guy. Um, yeah, a lot of pretty good pitchers who just or older pitchers who are in the last year of their deal who could have helped a contender. He's like the best example of that, it seems like. But uh, yeah, age 37, I, banging out the innings. Good for him. I, I absolutely agree. And, and I think with uh, the A's losing Brett Anderson and Sean Mania like a week before the waiver deadline, I thought, hey, you know, Shields could be a guy who eats some innings for you and covers for that. So I, I was also puzzled because clearly the White Sox aren't keeping him past this season. Yeah, and the White Sox, uh, the rebuild's going a little rocky. It's uh, not been the best thing, and it turns out just tearing it down and hoping a bunch of young prospects all figure it out and um, getting a lot for Chris Sale is not enough to get you back on track totally. Like, we, there's still a lot of question marks there. Like, Yamakata and everybody else, like, it's like, uh-oh. Um, maybe uh, we were... But then again, we were feeling the same kind of way about the Phillies, right? Because the Phillies rebuild was entering like year five of the post Ruben Amaro era and it was still just not much progress and they finally broke through this year with Aaron Nola and everybody else but they still have some question marks and we'll see what happens there um maybe they'll sign Bryce Harper this winter like people are expecting and they'll be fine for the next like 10 years um they're speaking up they're still Braves fans who I think would prefer to like re-sign Nick Marcakis than <laughs> sign Bryce Harper the animosity they have towards Bryce Harper is absolutely insane and if the Braves were actually not a cheap organization now and would have spent and could spend on uh adding Bryce Harper to replace Nick Marcagas in right field next year and would pat like just it's unfathomable to me and (laughs) I just I can't get over it because uh Bryce Harper would be awesome but uh, him going to the Phillies would suck because that'd be a really good outfield in Philadelphia for the next couple years um yeah. Herrera and him and uh Hoskins and everybody else like yeah that would uh be a pretty dangerous team for the next five ish years yeah that would be a fun fit and and I feel like what you said about the the fan base is is going to be the same anywhere Harper signs like it, to me it's going to be fun to just see all these fan bases who have hated on him for so long suddenly become the biggest Bryce Harper fan in the world because once he's on your team, like, of course you're going to love him. He, yeah, he's good at baseball. He's awesome. Right. And his slump was kind of overstated. It just really depended on, like, what stats you were looking at with him. Um, and he was really unlucky. And we just, I think he's a lot more hurt than that was let on. He's just a super tough guy. I, I don't know. I think Bryce Harper is going to be fine. I'm not worried about him at all. And he's been mashing in August and all that kind of stuff. So he he's fine. Um, he's going to get paid. He'll be okay. Uh, but uh, Nick Stellini and I, friend of the pod, we have been pitching Bryce Harper to Colorado. That's where he should <laughs> go. Be fun. He should be That'd the be first fun. baseman in Colorado for the next 10 years. If you're Bryce Harper, why would you not do that? If you ever want to chase Barry Bonds home run record, go to Coors Field. Let's get Bryce Harper in Coors Field. I, I would be entertained to, to see that. I, but I, I guess I'm just, I'm so resigned to like the Yankees or the Dodgers giving him just the, the Godfather offer because they have all the money in the world. And it's it's just it's depressing. Those two teams, I guess, more of the Dodgers. I don't feel like he can go to the Yankees. That would just be okay. I, I just I still think the Phillies makes the most sense to me. You would pull a, a David Stern and and not allow the deal yeah. if you went to the Yankees. Yeah. yeah. Um. I well, you know, I I well, think... then again, you have Aaron Hicks, and I just don't know how Bryce Harper fits in when you have somebody like Aaron Hicks out there and Brett Gardner. I just I don't know how you could replace those guys with somebody just like Bryce Harper. Coming yeah, I, I I think you find room for for uh, Bryce Harper. I don't know. Aaron Hicks has been uh, like a top three WAR player for them this year. I, I think I, I the the thing that intrigues me with both of those teams is willingness to to go over the luxury tax uh Mm -hmm. i guess it's with all these big 
payroll teams who, who have been up against it. Uh, now that there's going to be a couple of prime free agents on the market, I, I think you're going to see teams ignore that uh, to sign like Harper or Machado. And I, I don't really know how to deal with that because we saw a lot of trades this season to, for those teams to get under the luxury tax. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see if the Dodgers are just like, oh, well, I guess we're just going to take that penalty because we want Harper or Machado and we want to win a World Series that bad. Yeah, um, Machado is another fascinating one to monitor and whether or not he resigns with L.A. or he goes to New York or whoever. Um, do you think J.D. Martinez would have helped uh, the Diamondbacks this year? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah tongue in cheek there. Uh, I'm excited. I love that they're struggling <laughs> in this regard for not paying J.D. Martinez. This is what happens when you don't pay really good players that you traded for last year and was a really good fit on your team and would have been awesome. Like, yeah, that's what you get. Uh, sorry, I love Diamondbacks fans, all that stuff. Well, change your uniforms, go back to the purple, all that good <laughs> stuff. But because uh, those grays, worst in baseball, absolutely despicable. Some of the uniforms that the Arizona Diamondbacks tried out. But they have my favorite pitcher of all time in Zach Grinke. So I will always love them a little bit for that and paying him that the Dodgers would not. So shout out to them for that. But uh, yeah, J.D. Martinez. Turns out he would have been really valuable in a pennant chase in the NL. Yeah, and I, his free agency was was so puzzling to me. Uh, I know that you know he's not regarded as the best defensive outfielder, but it seemed like there was so much placed on what he would give you defensively, and and maybe that was just posturing by teams to try and get him to lower his uh, his asking price. But Boston is clearly benefiting from having this guy around. He ever since that turnaround, he's been easily a top 10 hitter in baseball. So I think even if you're a National League team, like you just accept maybe the defensive hit knowing that you have a guy who is going to contend for the triple crown, which I understand, you know, I, look, I started at Fangraphs. I know batting average is not ultra important and RBIs does, doesn't really matter. Um, but still, I mean, <laughs> it, it is impressive. It tells you that the guy has had a good year. And so to pass that up because because of defense, I don't know. I, I never, I was really hesitant w- when that came out in the off season, and I feel slightly vindicated now. No, you know, four years down the road, maybe I won't feel that way, but it just looks like a great signing right now. How excited are you about the Padres calling up Francisco Mejia? Mejia, Mejia. What is it? Uh, is it Mejia? Mejia. I, I, I was pronouncing it Mejia, but. Okay. I could be wrong. I'm I'm the wrong guy to ask there. Yeah. Um, he's he's someone I've been excited to see for a while now. I I thought maybe he had an outside shot at at getting called up at the beginning of the season with the Indians. Now clearly that didn't happen. But uh, I I want to say actually when we filled out our season predictions, he was my AL Rookie of the Year. Oh, and wow. that was just, well, that was because I I went kind of hipster and was like, oh, everyone's going to pick Otani, so I just won't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so clearly that's worked out for me, but, um, yeah, he's a guy I'm really excited about. And I feel like we haven't seen that many elite catching prospects reach the majors in the past couple seasons. And I guess I, I was also thinking maybe for fantasy purposes, um, catcher is such a wasteland in, in fantasy baseball that I was just kind of hoping we got another young, decent player who, could maybe surprise people and and you could finally have another offensive force there. So I'm really excited to watch him play. 
Yeah, and I mean, the Padres have a lot of guys like that. They have my man, <laughs> Framil Reyes, and Wright that I love. Um, they still have a lot of interesting guys. They brought in the vet and Eric Hosmer. They have Renfro. They have just they have the number one farm system in baseball or number two, depending on who you read. Like, the Padres are coming. Like, A.J. Preller, he's going to do something crazy soon. I'm ready. I'm ready for Preller to shake things up and really go for it. And the NL West is just it's suddenly really competitive and interesting. And I don't think any of us thought that the Rockies were going to be in the spot they are right now. And I mean, the Dimebacks are still kind of set up to contend for the next couple of years. Dodgers obviously aren't going anywhere, even though they're uh, being a little uh, careful with the luxury tax and everything else. And then you have the Giants who I don't know if a lot of people know this, have the highest payroll in professional baseball this year. And uh, they're going to keep spending because they are screwed if they decide to blow it up because their farm system is a dumpster fire and it's going to be like 10 years of hell for Giants fans. And I uh, I don't know. The NL West is suddenly very fascinating and I think the Padres are my favorite fascinating team. And um, there was a lot of talk about whether or not they should keep Brad Hand at the deadline because he was so good for them, but he was also under team control for several years. So it's like, do we keep him if we bet on you know um, this team being in the playoff hunt next year? it's nice to have someone that you can count on the relief role like Brad Han. And he was just so dominant that, okay, why not? I don't think anybody would have said that Preller messed up by not trading him, but he got high value with the Indians. The Indians needed bullpen help. Miller was injured and they haven't had the best bullpen this year like they had in years past, but uh, he got great value. And uh, Mejia is a superstar. Then I think it worked out. Turning a reliever into a superstar is always good. Just ask the Yankees. Yeah. And I, I, you know, with the Padres, I, I almost feel like rebuild wise, I, I would, I would compare them to the White Sox just in that they have been able to accumulate a lot of young talent. They're clearly a little bit behind where the White Sox are rebuilding wise. So, you know, maybe you see some of the elite prospects really get called up next year, which, you know, Wait, the White Sox sure behind the White Sox. I, I think they, well, it, just in the process, like I feel like okay. the White Sox's rebuild has, just started since Moncada's up and they called up Kopech and I feel like San Diego still has a lot of their guys in the minors and Mejia is maybe the first of that and maybe you know maybe I'm missing someone um but yeah I I feel like with both of those teams and and I know the question was about the Padres but I feel like you you need that Philly season right yeah. you, you need those young guys to suddenly get it you need two or three of those guys I also think, um, you know, free agent wise, you need to see these teams spend money. Now the Padres did it and, and brought in Hosmer. Um, the White Sox have never handed out a contract over a hundred million dollars. So that is a big problem for me with, with that rebuild. Um, they need to, to spend in free agency. And so, so the Padres, Jerry Reinsdorf, not a spender. This is a, uh, yeah, right. That, that, 11. <laughs> but you know, you know what though? I mean, just the, the fact that there, I think, uh, you know, Ethan Spaulding, uh, who, who worked for the Brewers for a little bit, uh, recently, uh, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he had a tweet a few years ago about, I think there were three or four teams that had never given out a $100 million contract. And it was at that time, it was like the pirates, Cleveland, another, team you would expect a low budget team maybe the a's and then the white Sox, and that mm. like one of those doesn't fit one of those right. plays in a huge city where you could certainly get away with handing out that deal and I, I feel like since then 
one or two of those teams have been removed from that list. So it's gotten smaller Even and the, the White Mariners Sox are still paid for Robinson it. Cano. Like Absolutely. Just, yeah, it's it's bizarre. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that big of an ask anymore, especially if uh, the right free agents are out there. And I think this season, this upcoming winter, you're at least going to see a couple guys who should draw that amount of money. The White Sox will clearly need some help. Um, I just don't have any faith based on how they've operated in the past that they'll be able to sign a, an elite guy. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know either. I, I wouldn't hold my breath there. But um, Ryan Howard retired. I wanted to ask you, um, what do you make of his career? What, are we gonna, what is his defining legacy? Because I think the most endearing thing about him is that he went to the minors multiple times he tried with the Braves like even though he was clearly washed like he just he kept trying I don't know there was something about that that's endearing this former superstar who clearly lost a lot played 14 years with the Phillies um won a title all that great stuff he seemed like a really genuinely good dude and uh now he's officially retired so I wanted to make a note of Ryan Howard you had a good you had a good run you brought Philly a championship all that great stuff um I don't know yeah, I, I feel like Howard is a guy that I kind of grapple with because when when I was, I guess, getting into sabermetrics and all that, that was when Ryan Howard was just the guy you beat up on. Um, you know, the, the narrative back then was his MVP was undeserved. Um, you know, there I think I think that was the year maybe Albert Pujols was just better than him, which is not a shock. And so for many years, I I think I I just kind of hated on the guy. And I think with retrospection or looking back and and seeing what he's done later in his career, and that you know the the contract may not have worked out, but like you said, I think you you definitely give him credit for wanting to to give it a go and continuing to chase his dream after he was clearly not the same guy and yeah i mean yeah in the end you know he is a former mvp who who won a world series um i think you know history has been kind to him at least in my eyes so um i i'm glad to no longer hate on ryan howard i, I think i've come around and just accepted um that he was a really fun player in his prime who maybe had a couple flaws, but was still excellent and had a nice run for a while there. Yeah. We're going to remember the Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, Ryan Howard era in Philly and um, Cliff Lee as well. I guess we have to throw Cliff Lee in that mix and Jerry Manuel. Is there anybody else we're missing <laughs> from that group? Who are we missing? Roy Halladay. Oh, or was God, that? Roy yeah. Halliday. Yeah. I forgot about Roy Halladay. I, I don't know why I remember Cliff Lee more. I guess it's I was going to say trade and everything and just, um, I I don't know for some reason. Car- Cliff, Carlos yeah. Ruiz? No, not gonna go. No, okay. Shane Victorino. Shane Victorino would be well. Bobby Abreu. That's probably a little before that, right? I can't remember how Was long he, he on that team. There. I don't know. I mean, he played thirty-seven seasons, so it's possible he was right. On the team exactly. I just I imagine him never leaving the field. He's probably still on the roster, and I just he's actually playing well, DH for the Blue Jays right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I would buy that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Blue Jays. I want to ask you, this is uh, the last two things and we'll go. Um, John Gibbons out in Toronto. Um, I'd like to know what you think about that. And uh, it, it, for me, 
it makes sense because this is a team now that they've moved on from Donaldson and they have Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Craig Biggio Jr. I don't think it's Biggio Jr. It's he has a different name. It's a very baseball name, but it's not Craig. What is it? <laughs> what is his uh, name? Is I don't know. I'm not... He is something. Sure. Weird. He is a very like. Um, I, I don't know, it, but he's great. And then you have Bo Bichette and they're about to go through this rebuild and um, they're about to do the youth movement. And uh, John Gibbons was brought on, I think, to try and get a title in that window um, with Tulowitzki and everybody else. And it just didn't, it didn't happen and they moved on. So they're going to get a new manager. And uh, Josh Donaldson is now a member of the Cleveland Indians. However, the fact that the Blue Jays offered a deal similar to what Jake Arrieta got from Philadelphia, I thought was very fascinating because there were disputing reports about what the Blue Jays offered Donaldson before the season. And now it seems apparent that they did offer him a pretty good three-year deal and he rejected it. And now he's going to be a free agent this summer. So, I mean, this winter. So, uh, two-parter, what do you think of the John Gibbons departure and um, Donaldson rejecting a long-term deal with the team and uh, how he'll affect the Indians playoff run. Sure. So uh, I think on Gibbons, it, it just seems like the right time. Um, like you said, they're, they're going to rebuild. He is probably not the type of guy who's going to want to stay around for that for the next couple seasons. Um, I'm a, a John Gibbons supporter. I, I think he's a good manager. I think, um, you know, he, he did a, a really good job with that team. Um, you know, when we saw Bautista and, and Donaldson and Encarnacion all having what seemed like MVP caliber years, um, you know, he showed that he was willing to be inventive with, with batting order. I mean, he was, he probably wasn't one of the first, but I just remember seeing Donaldson hit two every night in that lineup and thinking, um, he was ahead of the curve on that, or at least ahead of a, a lot of other managers. And maybe that's not something you expect from a guy who's been around the game that long. So I, I'm interested to see what's next for him, because I think we saw a lot of teams last offseason were willing to go with first time and young managers. And I just wonder what the market would be for a veteran like Gibbons, especially with Joe Girardi um, expected to be a, a big uh, piece and uh, Dusty Baker, maybe I, you know, I, I'm sure he'd like to manage. I don't know what the, his situation is there. Um, moving on to Donaldson, yeah, I, I, I obviously he's kicking himself for not taking the deal now. Even if he comes back and performs well for Cleveland, um, you know, he's he strikes me as the type of guy, given his age and the injuries that have hit the last couple seasons, who might be willing to just take a one-year prove-it offer in hopes that he can get a multi-year deal in his late 30s from from a team if he can still hit, you know, 300 with 28 home runs or something. So, I it's hard for me to 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 peg what he'll do with Cleveland, um, just because we haven't seen him in so long. But if he can get back and and be 70% of what he was. Um, I, I just think he makes such a big difference because it's not just it's not just average with him, right? He's got a great batting eye. He can work walks. He can work counts. I, I think, you know, maybe you don't have to hit him. You, well, you certainly don't have to hit him three or four in that lineup. And so, if you're worried about that, you, you maybe put him a little lower and 
you just kind of let him wear out uh, opposing pitchers. So I think he could have a significant impact, but I'm really hesitant to to say anything definitively because we just haven't seen him. Yeah, um, but at least they did something, and I like the Indians are trying to figure things out. I feel bad for the Blue Jays because they went for it, and it's just another thing that it it's hard. It's hard to win, and it's hard to get everybody healthy at the exact same time. And, uh, yeah, I guess they're about to go through a tough rebuild. But then again, you have one of the most tantalizing young groups of players coming up that are going to be a lot of fun. Like, they'll be bad, but they'll be fun. Yeah, and I I will be really interested to see who they bring in to manage that team because it it seems like it's going to be a a new first-year guy and he's going to have to be tasked with getting these young guys ready to play in the majors. So not an easy thing to do. Um, So, yeah, I I hope he's prepared for that because it, it will be rough, like you said. Jerry Manuel? Probably not Jerry Manuel. Yeah. I don't know who it is. Ron Washington? <laughs> uh, no. Actually, I, I you don't get Ron Washington. He has to stay in Atlanta. You can have Walt yeah. Wise. You know, I, I, I think, I mean, I think really it's going to be someone who's never managed before because that just seems to be the, the thing that every team's doing these days. Mm. Okay. So it's going to be Terry Collins is what you're saying. Oh, man. that would Now that would be worst case scenario. <laughs> <laughs> well mickey calloway might be looking for work so maybe he jumps over there and he has a history with the indians um and there's a lot of indians guys in that front office so maybe it's mickey calloway who knows um you never know but either way it's uh gonna be interesting and i'm excited to watch vladimir guerrero jr play baseball on the major league level when he's allowed to right in 2027 uh i don't know when is that still a little bit early because you get a couple <laughs> more years of um <laughs> what is I know. it of, they're, they're uh, gonna want him through team his control season so that it's crucial to get him when he's 41 years old to still be on the <laughs> roster so right right and there's nothing more fun than uh holding out for those last couple of years of service time and everything else fans love arbitration i know i know it's it's brutal i i hope that uh when the cba expires i hope that's something the players fight for because the, the current the current way they do things is just not right it's not. Yeah. It uh it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. But either way, Chris, I'm glad we were able to do this tonight. I'm glad you're able to make this all work. Um we can find you on Twitter at Chris underscore Swick. We can read you at yahoosports.com. Is there anything we're recording this on a Thursday? Is there anything else that uh you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Uh I think that I think you did a good job there. Um I I'm working on a story that I don't want to reveal too much about, so that's a terrible plug, but um, I'll have something I hope coming out in the next week or two that I am really proud of. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see me tweet about it 7,000 times. So uh, when that comes out, please read it and click on it and tell me it's good. And if you think it's bad, then just don't tweet at me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's a good rule to live by. Chris, uh, this was great. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon, sir. Sounds good, Chase. Thanks a lot. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. 
And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back another episode very soon thanks guys nobody builds 5g like verizon builds 5g because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in america and the more you do with 5g the more building it right matters the more your network matters The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.